fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Habner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Fast. What's going on? It's your boy, the Wolf of Roto Street, RotoStreetJournal.com. We breathe and feed you fantasy wolves, and I am beyond thrilled to kick off our 2022 Fantasy Wolves series with the first ever wolf to come on here, the man that's helped me grow more as a thinker and just more as an audience, everything in this space. I owe it to Scott Barrett. I'm so pumped to have him on today. He's the director of data and analysis over at Fantasy Points. He's previously worked as pro football focuses senior fantasy analyst creating many amazing predictive stats like the one we'll probably reference a bunch tonight, weighted opportunity. Scott, I think you're one of the best minds in the game. Thanks so much for coming on. How are you doing today? Uh, I'm, I'm doing great. Uh, I appreciate you doing the show for me because I specifically singled you out and asked for this show. Uh, I came to you to do it. You have COVID and I wouldn't let you go on the COVID-19 list. Uh, next week, unfortunately, did not work for me. So, But you you sacked up and you, you did this show. Again, I, I, I singled you out. The reason for that is because I think we, ve- we, we think very similarly when it comes to running backs. Oh, yeah. I really value uh, your understanding of the position. You have a great track record with the position. And so I just finished. I, I've, I've, I slept like four and a half hours last night. I've been working the other... 48 hours. Uh, I wrote 16,000 words in the running back position. And so I, I worry sometimes I'm a better uh, lawyer than judge. I think my analysis is phenomenal, but when it comes time to finalize my rankings and set ties, you know, there's some things, especially looking at my rankings right now that just might seem crazy to some people. So again, I really value your opinion and I hope I, I can, I can talk all of these running backs out with you and you can help me really finalize these rankings. Oh, absolutely. It's what I'm here for. I'd love to. And I, I certainly have some that I don't feel strongly about as all. So maybe we can help each other out. So I'm pumped you're here. I definitely, it's the most important position as you've proven many times and time again. So hopefully we can help each other get it as right as possible. So as you know, we'll pack as Scott just kind of preview. We will be talking running backs, my top 20 Scott's top 20, him kind of teeing off on where he sees me right and wrong. If you don't mind giving this a thumbs up, giving it a share wherever you're at, it would greatly be appreciated. And just as up, I know a lot of you find us on Twitter. For whatever reason, those comments aren't coming in. So if you do want to get a question or comment in, uh, it has to be over on YouTube or Facebook. We prefer YouTube for sure. So just keep that in mind as well. But thank you again so much for being here. Before we dive into those top 20, Scott, I know you mentioned you wanted to promote something that you guys are brewing up, something real special that I cannot wait to see get launched. Why don't you tell our audience what you guys have cooking over there at Fantasy Points? Yeah, yeah. So they at FantasyPoints.com, I'm a part owner. They gave me like a fancier, more official title. Says something like uh, Director of Data Analytics or something. I said, I said, fuck that. I want to be Director of Dang Stats. Put that on the <laughs> business card. And, you know, like that's what I'm known for. You know, I, I'm known for the deep data analysis, dives, the dang stats, and so we're launching a product, Fantasy Points Data, and I really think this has the potential to be the best 
data product in the space for fantasy users and for like even non-fantasy users. And I know how insane that sounds. I know the competitors, you know, my background with some of these competitors, uh, but I really think year one, just a couple of weeks away, we have the potential to be far and away the best in the space. This There's been many meetings. We, we've hired the best minds, a, a large team. A lot of my ideas that I, I've had for years are being put into the into place. And uh, I, I didn't want to like price us too cheap. The, the other owners really like, you know, going sort of cheap on this. I, I don't love that. I feel like fantasy is sort of like a luxury brand, like purses where it's like, you know, like people don't really care about the price. They don't want the best value purse. They just want Louis Vuitton. And so like a lot of people just think they want the best fantasy site. And they think the best fantasy site is wherever the most expensive is. Uh, but we just didn't go that route. We're, I think we're the best. I also think we're one of the most affordable and like we're far and away the best value. And so unfortunately I wanted to go expensive on this. It looks like we're going to be insanely cheap on this. And again, I, I really think this is going to be the best in the space. I've never been more excited about anything than this, this product. So just be on the lookout for, for fantasy points data. I'll hook you up with the free account Wolf and, and maybe uh, you could give away a, free, a few uh, free subs to, to some of your uh, YouTube yeah, absolutely. But you don't. Know, I'd be more than happy to pay for it. You're, you guys are the first product I buy every off season, right when it starts. I always get that the big all inclusive DFS. I mean, it's the easiest thing to pay for, as you said. It's inexpensive to relative to what you get by all means. Like so loaded. So there's, there's not a product I buy faster. Wait till, wait till you for. see this. This I is going to be wait. sick. <laughs> You've got me hyped up over here, man. I can barely get any energy over here because you bet you mentioned I have COVID. But for you and then this product. I am fired up already. It's the most excitement I've had the last two days, Barrett. So really appreciate it. You bring some fire to me uh, this day. So awesome. I can't wait to see that Wolfpack. Be on the lookout. If you haven't checked out Fantasy Points, again, one of the best websites, if not my, one of my personal favorites out there. Always, always go there first. And I don't have time to consume much content. And I, I always make sure to check in what is Barrett, what's Bearfield, the, all the crew over there, Hanson. You guys got a great crew over there. So always check them out, Wolfpack. All righty, guys. You ready, Scott, to dig into these top 20 running backs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's do it. So I'm going to pull in my rankings in a second, but they are already not going to look at the consensus. We're going to reference underdog ADP as well. I have that pulled up just because I know that's a lot of you guys tuned in here watching best ball and all that good stuff. So we'll reference that as well in addition to my own personal rankings. But I know that the decision at the top of a lot of drafts, if you get blessed with that number one pick, who are you going to go with, Jonathan Taylor or Christian McCaffrey? I know who I'm leaning, and it's probably not analytically the right answer. But, Scott, if it's up to you, who would you be going? Yeah, so I feel sort of fraudulent when I say this. I'm going with Jonathan Taylor. And, like, I have been the Christian McCaffrey guy for years where it's just, like, you you don't – no one appropriately values a healthy Christian McCaffrey's upside. It is – legitimately incomprehensible in comparison to any fantasy player over the past 20 seasons. Like he has mm -hmm. the, the upside to break leagues in a way that we've only ever seen like peak Ladanian Tomlinson perform. And like, I was playing fantasy back in those days where it was like snake style drafts were broken because you got the one Oh one and then the one Oh one one every year. And so like, yeah. you have to just play auction side. And like, that's really a healthy McCaffrey's upside. I don't think there's any concern 
over him seeing a reduction in usage given these recent injuries. Every beat writer says that's not the case. Matt Rule is the heavy favorite to be the first head coach fired. So I really think he gets the volume we've seen, which again is like unparalleled volume. He is the archetype of all bell caps. He is a, a, a round one caliber slot wide receiver when it comes time to be a scab back. And he's also one of the most efficient runners. And he's also the focal point near the end zone. I have always been very optimistic, I guess, when it comes to injuries, where it's just like, oh, I can't predict that, but I can predict a healthy McCaffrey being far and away the most valuable player in fantasy. I've sort of been walking that back, being a little more pessimistic in my old age. And like, you look at the injuries McCaffrey has had, notably the soft tissue injuries, and then how slow he's been to heal from those injuries. And you sort of get into the territory of like late season Arian Foster injury risk where like, well, you know, if he's healthy, he's an easy high end RB1. But like, I mean, those injuries start to add up and it gets concerning. And so again, I, I feel sort of fraudulent. I, th- I think maybe if I, I, maybe I should just have him the RB1, but uh, I, I don't, I, I have Jonathan Taylor RB1. I'd like to uh, quickly state the bull case, which is obvious. And then just come up with my concerns for Taylor that don't exist for McCaffrey and hear your thoughts. Yeah. So I think Jonathan Taylor, uh, you know, his workload is excellent. Uh, obviously we'd like a few more targets per game. He's not an archetypal bell cow like Christian McCaffrey is. He is more of a workhorse, uh, at least in comparison. Uh, but I mean, the injury risk is minimal. He's had 250 touches in five straight seasons, only missed one game. And that was due to COVID. Um, uh, um, I think he's maybe the most talented running back in football. I've, I've loved him. I really thought he was worthy of like a top 10 pick, like coming out of college. Um, I think he's going to have 2000 rushing yards this season, but uh, here's a concern I have. And I haven't heard anyone talk about it. I haven't heard a single person talk about it, but I mean, like, I don't know why, like this quote is crazy. Um, so uh, I, just a, a quick refresher on Jonathan Taylor. I was lower on, on Jonathan Taylor than I should have been. I always believed in the talent, but uh, uh, the athletic beat writers were saying it's going to be like a similar committee to the one he was in in 2020 when he only played 50% of the team snaps. And that's exactly what we saw through the first six weeks of the season. And then Frank Wright came to his senses that jumped to like 76%. So he was second in snap share after those first six weeks, he was a full on bell cow. He was, you know, the clear RB one, he was a fantasy juggernaut, all that stuff. But here's the quote from Frank Reich. Um, I'll give you the, basically he just like hyped the shit out of Naheem Hines. Mm -hmm. Um, But here's the condensed versions. If I quote, quote unquote, if I was a fantasy owner, if I was going to be in a fantasy league, I think I'd pick Naheem this year. I think I'd consider drafting Naheem. I think it's worth it to consider drafting him, blah, blah, blah. We were a little more run centric than we wanted to be. Uh, just the way it sort of worked out, but we looked at the numbers. We, we hoped he have, he'd have more quote unquote at the end of the season. When you tally up who has the catches, do we want Naheem to be one of those top three running backs? Yeah, we probably do. And so that's, that's concern. And it's just like, I mean, I get, 
you know, Taylor is phenomenal. He averaged 24.7 fantasy points per game over his final 13 games, only about five fantasy points per game off of McCaffrey's all-time 2019 season. But he just doesn't have the upside with Naheem Hines in that cemented role where McCaffrey, again, the archetype is getting all of these carries, all of the snaps, wide receiver one levels of target volume. And so to me, again, it's just, hey, like at a certain point, the injuries matter. Am I being cowardly? Am I copping out and just like caving to ADP? I don't know. This is something that's tormented me, but ultimately I sided with Jonathan Taylor as RB1. Yeah, I think we are in exact lockstep, so I don't want to get too repetitive here. If I could have a crystal ball, you told me that McCaffrey plays 14 games. I'm hitting the the number one pick, locking it in, certainly if you're getting the whole season. I mean, even in his few games last year when he played 50% of the snaps or more, RB1, RB3, RB4, RB3, the year before he averaged 30.1, which was more than he did the season before we put the yeah, yeah, all yeah. time. Like, if I can, if I can, 2019, fifth most fantasy points per game by any player in any season all time. Insane. 2020, 30.1 fantasy points per game, third most by any player in any season all time. Last season, if you just take his, his four healthy games, 22.9 fantasy points per game minus touchdowns. That would be the most ever, um, but otherwise 25.9 fantasy points per game on pace for what would have been the only fourth 1000, 1000 season in NFL history. Like he's just unbelievable. I mean, it it truly like if he stays healthy, he's the number one player. So if you have the balls to stomach the injury risk, like then I, you won't get an argument from me. I also have the the luxury of getting the first overall pick in back-to-back years. We alternate auction and snakes. So the first year I blew all my budget to get him. Of course he gets dinged up. Next year, I get blessed with the number one pick. Oh, great. I go right back to the well, and he screws me over again. So beyond just having, like, the scare of the injury, I am just that, – that negative sludge is still sitting in me that I just can't get over, especially when you got a, a horse like Taylor who just, you know, just doesn't get hurt. I mean, I knock on wood. I don't want to jinx it, but college, huge workloads. He just seems like a stallion. As you mentioned, the one time he missed it was for COVID. Like, the guy's a beast. He's, he's not going to miss time or at least – seems far more likely to stay on the field than Christian McCaffrey. But as you mentioned, the the ceiling is capped with the passing game. I do expect Hines to be more involved with Matt Ryan. They did. I heard uh, one of your, you know, Dwayne McFarland at your old stomping grounds at PFF was talking about how the Colts led by 40% of the time. That was more than, you know, any other team. And it was just a, a perfect game flow for Taylor. That makes sense. 26 carries inside the five yard line. Like, is that going to repeat? I also do think, though, this offense could just be that much better with Matt Ryan. They're talking about playing up-tempo more. So unless they're just, like, getting Naeem Hines automatically on the field with Taylor, they're swapping out a bit. I could see Taylor just being on the field for really rapid drives. I mean, he's a talented pass catcher in his own right. No McCaffrey, but he can certainly get it done. I mean, when he gets into space, it's just a, a gazelle getting down the field. So I do think there's, like, even more ceiling. Everyone just talks about how Taylor has downside, downside, downside. I do think there's some ceiling here, too, in the fact that this offense could be significantly better with Matt Ryan than it was with Carson Wentz. If all this training camp is is coming to fruition, this hype about the up-tempo, the no-huddle, all that good stuff, as long as that's Taylor in there for it, of course that means Naeem Hines is coming in more and Taylor's off, then it won't matter at all. But I do think there's a ceiling that's not really being acknowledged about Taylor either. So I feel comfortable yeah. with a safer floor, with a ceiling that seems to be kind of ignored as well. 
That, that's my opinion, so, at least. So again, I, I do think Hines is more heavily involved, but I do think the offense is going to be significantly better. I think I'd put them like seventh in Super Bowl odds. I think they're like 12th right now. I think I'd put them seventh. And again, I think Taylor rushes for 2000 yards. Like, I think that happens. That's not just like, yeah. I think that could happen. I think, I think he does. Like, I, I just love, love the player. It's the best offensive line in football. It's the best running back in football minus a healthy McCaffrey maybe, but yeah. Love it. So we're in agreement. I was, I'm surprised. I thought I was going to get harpooned for uh, not having McCaffrey one. I'm going to pull in my rankings here uh, so we can kind of see what I'm referencing rest of the way. We'll talk about some of my other first round running backs. As you can see, again, that's just kind of out of spite having McCaffrey at three. I think any sane person has him at two. And if you don't get Taylor, you're probably going McCaffrey. That's how underdogs going right now. It's one of the two at the top. My, my number two though is, is Eckler. And then I go Dalvin Cook, Henry, Joe Mixon, and Harris. So yeah, I don't know if you want to go hone in on, by one. Let's hone in on Eckler. Let's go. All right, let's do it. What's um, your thoughts on him? I, I have him at two. I absolutely love him, and I can tell you why, but I'd love to hear your case first. Yeah, he is uh, he is my RB8, I think. Okay. Um, so, I mean, obviously I love Eckler. Like, I, I've been talking about this for a long time. Like, he's always been sort of like – a poor man's Alvin Kamara, but like near even to Kamara in hyper efficiency. And when I say that, I've also been saying Alvin Kamara is arguably the most efficient fantasy running back in NFL history. There's a number of key data points to support that. He's a highest end. If he's not a highest end bell cow, he was last year. He's at least a highest end scat back on steroids like, and Alvin Kamara, like a Christian McCaffrey, like he is like a slot wide receiver in terms of his pass catching upside. And this offense is amazing. Justin Herbert is amazing. Um, and he saw the best usage of his career last year, but here are my concerns. So uh, Tom Telesco, the GM told reporters in March, uh, he wanted to reduce Austin Eckler's workload in 2022 and then the team drafted Isaiah Spiller in round four, who, by the way, I don't like. I don't, I don't think he's very good. Uh, but then Austin Eckler himself came out on a podcast and said he, he went directly to management and advocated for fewer touches, for them to limit his touches to make sure he can make it through the entire season. Beyond that, Eckler is far and away the most uh, uh, the 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 most likely player to regress in touchdowns. He outscored his touchdown expectation by 8.4, which is like one of the highest marks I've ever seen. And again, like he is hyper-efficient. He is phenomenal. Uh, But like 8.4 touchdowns times six divided by 17 games, like that is not an insignificant differential. Um, And then beyond that, there's, the question is like, okay, what does Isaiah Spiller get? If he gets carries outside of the red zone, it's, it's basically irrelevant. If he gets, you know, some targets and some carries outside the red zone, like, okay. The big concern would be he gets near end zone opportunity. And why that particularly worries me is because he never had that role prior to last season. Uh, two seasons ago, he ranked fourth on the team in, in carries inside the 10-yard line. He had just 40% of the team's backfield XTD last year that jumped to 70%. What happened is total touchdowns jumped from four to 20. 
you know, so like, again, like he was amazing in that role. I think he's deserving of that role, but the bottom line is like, I, I love Eckler. I, I think he's like a great high floor option, but I do think he overachieved. I do think he's going to see fewer uh, touches. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean like the ranking makes it seem like I'm a lot lower on him than I should be, but, but these are my concerns and I'm, I'm very eager to hear your counter. Yeah. So uh, they all, all valid concerns, but one, let me just remind you, one of the first times you came on here, you did point out Eckler when he was going around like seven or eight was going to be a league winner. So he is our boy forever. And that's ever. right. That's right. <laughs> we will always share that for sure. Uh, but to address some of those concerns, I, I hear a lot of the regression candidate talk and a couple years ago, this is how many he was having. But one of the big things for me is last year was his first year in this new offense. Uh, you know, Joe Lombardi coming over from the Saints, as you compared him to Kamara, brings over that Saints style offense, uses him That's as right. a almost suit right. up style of Kamara. And all he did was reward him for all the touches. As you said, 20 touchdowns. I mean, Eckler's just so damn good. So slippery at getting behind his blockers. So just efficient in those red zones and capping off those drives that if it's a close game and when you think about that division, I think all the games are going to be damn close in that division. Are you really going to take Eckler who you know is going to get you that touchdown off the field for Isaiah Spiller? Spiller might be good. And and if they're closing out the clock and bleeding things and they already have a two touchdown lead and they're, they're smashing the Texans. Yeah. Spiller will probably start to finish off those drives and, and I get it, but more often than not in this division, I, I really think, it's going to be coming down to the wire. They're going to need a clutch play, and they're going to need their man Eckler in there. You think about the snaps and touches last year. He still was only at at only, I mean, 67% of the snaps, 67% of the opportunity. Right. So, I, but, I mean, that caps his upside, and I think it's going down. But, yeah, it could go down know. a little bit. But how much How much is it going to go down, right? 60% right. at worst, you know? So right. I, I don't like Spiller. And Justin Herbert could be MVP this year. Chargers could win the Super Bowl this year. I think the blind spot I have specifically with this piece is I just wrote 16,000 words. And the focus of the article is looking at the value of roles. Yeah. Which can distract me from just the player's talent. And so I can't lose sight of that. And like you said, you know, like what have we been saying is, is, you know, we know he's like one of the most efficient running backs in all of football. He's a phenomenal talent. And so I think that role right. is good under Joe Lombardi. I mean, again, just consider – I know it could be considered an outlier year, but it was also his first year with Joe Lombardi, with Justin Herbert as a full-time starter. I only see the offense getting better. I only think Herbert's going to get better. The line, they added a first-round guard. So, I mean, they're already ascending as a line. I just, yeah, maybe he regresses a little bit as a score at 20 touchdowns, did lead the NFL last year, but you know he's going to be top three in running back targets. He has been for three straight. That's not going to change. It didn't change in this offense. Won't change this year. Maybe a little bit of touchdown regression, but again, I think it's just going to be such tight games and they're going to want their man to pound that thing in and cap off the drives when they, when they get in there. So even if it's a little bit less than the 67% of snaps and touches, I don't see it having such a – I mean, I still think 15 touchdowns and, you know, right around 1,500, 1,800 yards with 80 receptions to go with it. Uh, it just a, a, to me, it's a pretty good floor. Like, he can only regress so much, in my opinion, from the touches and the scores in this offense and with an improved line. I don't know. What do you think? The, the last thing I'll say – no, yeah. these were great points. The last thing I'll say is with Joe Lombardi specifically is he underutilized Reggie Bush. He – kept Darren Sproles in that scat back role. He kept Kamara 
didn't see his best usage by snap share, XFP share until last season. And now they're talking about reducing his volume. But we're going to revisit Eckler when we talk about, I think you're RB13 or something. Okay. So, so we'll come, we'll, okay. we'll, we'll put a pin in this for now. I know, I know who that is. And I, I, I have to bump him up. It, there's no real excuse. I mean, I don't know. I don't know because, because we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to him. We'll get to him for sure. Um, so yeah, and that's Eckler. Again, I think eight, Ooh, I, I don't know who else you have above him, but I, I think that's one to definitely, he's going to be one of the hardest ones I'd hit the drum for on here. Mo- many just, of scroll down, scroll down just scroll down real quick. Yeah. So okay. that's C-Mac you, should be two. Let's go down to four five, six, you, seven. You have, you have my RB three as a low end RB one, but, but we'll, we'll get to that later. Let's you have Dalvin cook RB four. I should I have them. these are these are half PPR rankings too. So oh, okay. hey, that that's, does that's obviously it. change things a bit. I know Henry would be significantly lower, and you might be lower on him than that, anyways. But these are half PPR, I should say. And that, I'm still that high on Eckler. It's just as a heads up. But yeah, so you want to talk about Cook, Henry, Mixon, Najee, all all four. I, I so I want to talk about every running back in the top twenty. Uh, Dalvin Cook, your RB four is my RB four. Okay. Um, He's finished second, third, and then last year, 11th in fantasy points per game. Uh, What went wrong last year? A lot of things. The second toughest schedule of any running back. uh, The second worst touchdown luck of any running back. Uh, But he was also not healthy. He missed weeks three and five with an ankle, week 13 with a shoulder, week 16 due to COVID. And so in nine to 13 games, uh, he hit a snap share of at least 69% in every single one, average of 77%. He averaged 19.2 fantasy points per game. That's RB4. In his other four games, all below a snap share of 55%, whether that was due to injuries, blowouts, or something else, but really underperformed 8.8 fantasy points per game. So to me, it just seems like, hey, if he stays healthy, he'll finish as a top five running back again. The concerns here are twofold. Uh, One, injury history. He does not have a, a pretty injury history no. by any stretch. He misses five games per season, at least two games in each season. The other concern is regime uncertainty. Uh, so the Vikings have a new head coach, a new offensive play caller, a new GM. And so this could be a bad thing. Maybe Kevin O'Connell wants Alexander Madison more heavily involved. Uh, you know, he had Gary Kubiak for the two of those seasons, an all-time running back whisperer. Maybe the yeah. team goes so massively pass heavy. It it hurts him in that regard. Uh, But it could also be a good thing. Uh, By all accounts, O'Connell's going out of his way to pepper him with targets. And I've always thought Cook was extremely underutilized in this regard. As you know, I've seen you, I think, retweet this. Uh, He leads all players tied with Debo Samuel in yards after the catch per reception since coming into the league. Uh, That's that's not an insignificant stat. That's a very predictive stat. And so I, I think that could do wonders for him. You know, he was underutilized as a pass catcher last season. Um, and so the regime uncertainty scares me. The injury concerns scare me. But uh, the pedigree of this guy who, when he's healthy, is is a highest-end bell cow. Um, I, feel, I feel good. I feel good about him as, as RB4. I think he's RB5 by ADP. Yeah, I, I definitely share the injury concerns after he's missed two games in every season. But that's really it for me. Yeah, of course, there's uncertainty with the regime change. But as you mentioned, the one the, the big point you hinted at the end there was the pass catching increase. And Kevin O'Connell, it's not like he's a lock to be the next Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan after learning under them. 
But to me, when you look at when those guys have had a back of elite caliber, and I do think Dalvin Cook is is up there. Todd Gurley's the, the closest comparison that comes to mind. So, so he didn't have Todd Gurley. He was with Washington when Gurley was with the Rams. Oh, well, yeah, I thought he had, he was the QB coach over there. And I, I didn't think uh, he was like, I'll, I'll look it up. I'm not exactly. sure. I think he was uh, with Washington, but I mean, like, still, like, so, um, yeah, he was with Washington 2019, Rams uh-huh. OC 2020-2021. But here's the thing: is that um, I mean, he's still a McVay understudy, and right. sure, he had a committee with Washington, he had a committee with the Rams, but did he really? Like, Cam Akers was the bell cow down the stretch into the playoffs at the tail end of the 2020 season. And Henderson was the bell cow until his injury. And like, I don't think Henderson's very good, but he was putting up low end RB one numbers and like ranked second in snap share. So um, yeah, I I'm, I'm bullish. You just have to mention regime uncertainty, muddling things, impacting the projection, but uh, I'm, I'm mostly bullish. Yeah, so that I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to bring this up when we talk Acres at some point in the top 20. Uh, John Daigle had a great quote about weekly running back touches in the, the Rams games when they avoided an in-game injury. Week one, Henderson, 94%. Week three, Sony, 95%. Henderson, 83%. Henderson, 71%. Henderson, 90%. Henderson, 48 That was the one weird one. Henderson, 83%. Sony, 93%. Sony, 100%. Sony, 71%. Sony, 100%. Sony, 73%. So... That that was pretty good. They had a lead back. They just rode him most of the time. So I'm hoping that's the case. If you got Dalvin Cook, historically he's kind of been that way. So I am I'm thinking O'Connell will treat him like a Todd Gurley. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they do work in uh, Matheson a little bit. But what what would intrigue me by that is that the exact stat you brought up the yards uh, per reception you know, after the catch that he racks up. Think about all the screens Gurley used to get. You know, moved out to the slot, and they're already saying in, in camp that's what's been happening with with Dalvin Cook going out there being more creative. So, yeah, maybe the total touches go down a bit. I, I honestly might not even be the worst thing, but if he gets the 87 to 81 targets that Gurley saw in both those years, right around a 12 to 15% share, I, I think that's going to unlock 25 to 30 points a game. Just two years ago, we were taking Dalvin Cook as the no-brainer behind, you know, Christian McCaffrey. It was 1-2, and then you didn't have to think about it, and now it might be an even better scheme, so – I'm all in on him at four. He actually came out. If I, if you project all my running backs for 16 games, he came out as my number one guy. So other than wow. Christian McCaffrey, of course, if he plays all of them, but yeah, I, I love again, I, do, like, I mean, weighted opportunity. I talk about this all the time, but targets are worth what? 2.8 times as much as a carry outside of the red zone. It's like 3.9. So uh, do not underrate, you know, Kevin O'Connell lining him up as a wide receiver, yeah. you know, making him a, a focal point of the passing attack. I think that's massive. Yeah. And I think All he's, he's a really good receiver. Absolutely. And and he's still going around. Oh, can you, 12, like, Ooh, <coughs> so can you send me, can you DM me that Daigle tweet, by the way, I'll use that in the article. That's oh, funny. absolutely. Yeah. I'll, I'll make sure to send that to you. I'll write a note to myself right now. All righty. Tweet. So the next one on my list is Derrick Henry. Whereabouts do you have him ranked? Yikes. Uh, I have him RB10 in PPR league. And hey, I was too low on him last year. Um, but I listen, I, I get all the arguments. You can even argue he's a bell cow. He ranked second in snaps per game last season. He ranked third in total snaps the year before. Uh, but I'm more inclined to believe he's just not seeing enough target volume to be a bell cow. He's never reached even 20 receptions 
in a single season. Um, he's just like an all-time outlier. And like, of course, and like maybe the best pure runner in f- football history since Barry Sanders. Like, you know, you have to account for that and his talent. Uh, but to me, it really comes down to game script. So this is uh, the single most game script sensitive player in fantasy um, by a landslide. And uh, Vegas expects Tennessee to decline more than any other team this year. Uh, their win total is going to drop from about 71% to about 53%. Uh, again, he averages 11 more fantasy points per game and wins than losses. Uh, 22.8, that's RB1 numbers and wins. 11.8 in losses, that's RB29 numbers. Oof. And so with Tennessee expected to win only 53% of their games, that means based on these win-loss splits, we should expect Henry to average only 17.6 fantasy points per game in PPR. That's RB9 numbers. Um, and so, again, I have them RB10, so that's really just like hinging on Vegas being right. But, hey, Vegas has been wrong about Tennessee for a number of years now. Beyond that, he has the second-worst schedule change. And then more importantly, I think without A.J. Brown, the offense is just going to be significantly worse. It's going to be less efficient. There's going to be fewer sustained drives. There's going to be fewer red zone trips and thus fewer fantasy points to Henry. Beyond that, I mean, he's 28, uh, 955 touches over the last three seasons. So I I do think he carries some injury age risk as well. All very fair points. Those splits are far more dramatic than even I would have realized. So I don't have much yeah. argument for that either because I do expect the Titans to be significantly worse without A.J. Brown. Maybe Traylon Burks. I mean, he's making a ton of highlight plays. Maybe he can step in and be very, very light A.J. Brown. I don't think, he's, I don't think Burks is pro-ready. That's that's one of my hot no. takes this year is I do not think he's pro-ready. I'm off Just Burks yet. too. I, I haven't been getting Burks either. I guess the, the only call for upside might be before he got hurt, he did have 18 catches. That's not astronomical, but he did only play half the season. That's so, right. That's you know, right. That would have paced him on pace for about 36 catches, which with a guy like Henry just completely changes the ceiling. So maybe with Brown leaving, maybe a little bit of the target share opens up and he does approach that 35, dare I say 40 reception. It's not like he's bad as a receiver necessarily, at least. I mean, sure, again, compared to some of these other names, he's bad, but he can, there's so many times you see him get a screen and just kind of rip through the entire defense because when he gets ahead of steam there's nobody better you see a guy that finishes ninth in rushing yard seventh in tds playing only half the year it's just such a generational talent uh you know the leader in fantasy points per game two more than jonathan taylor had last year was probably going to score 400 points it's just so much upside for me to pass up i do get the risk of 28 i saw there's a big tweet going around that like there hasn't been a, a running back over 27 in the top five for five straight years. I also don't think there's been running backs with this type of talent that if, we haven't been really targeting running backs over 27 until this year. So it's going to be really intriguing to see how that all shakes out. If age is going to be that much of a factor, because you got Cal Cook, you got Henry Kamara, like Jones, the, if none of those guys are in the top five, I would be stunned. Uh, but yeah, it, it's th- those splits. And especially with me thinking that, Tennessee is going to be worse than than they were last year. I that does make me a little bit nervous. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah. So you made a great point when you brought up his reception pace last season prior to injury. 
I think that's like a really fat, fair ca- counter. The only reason I didn't bring it up in my article is Paul Kaharski has been hyping Dontrell Hilliard up as the team's yeah. third down back. I mean, like, I, I don't know how much to trust some of these beats, but uh, I just figured that that sort of offsets it. So I just like didn't, didn't mention either. Uh, but yeah, I mean, like I've quibbled about his lack of targets for years. And like, in spite of that, 26.5 fantasy points per game in his final four games of 2018, 19.6 in 2019, 20.8 in 2020, 26.6 prior to injury last year. These are either top five numbers in any given season or 12 numbers all time. So, I mean, he's just an outlier. Yeah, I think again, I could I could get murdered by some of these. Hey, just bet on talent. But um, yeah, that, that game script stat really just it just it just swayed me. That's scary. No, it is absolutely terrifying. It's it's certainly a good reason to be negative on him. I guess I'm betting on the horse, but yeah, maybe I have to reconsider it. Part of it too is like I don't know. That's like I know the role with Harris is going to be good. Mixon I know isn't going to get a ton of third down work, and then like the other guys just feel kind of round two with some warts to me. So I didn't have anybody I could comfortably bump ahead of him. Who do you have? You know, at five above uh, Henry right now. You certainly have a few others above Henry, but who's your fifth? You have him outside of the top 10. We'll, we'll get to him. Are we getting let's, let's on to your next one? Yeah. <laughs> so I have Joe Mixon and then I have Najee Harris uh, here. So, I, I like, I like contrasting those two specifically. Yeah. Okay. So Najee, Najee Harris is a highest end bell cow. That means yes. Pittsburgh's win loss record doesn't really matter. Ideally in wins, he gets enough carries to return RB one levels of production. Ideally in losses, he gets enough targets to return RB1 levels of production. And Pittsburgh's offensive line is bottom five. It doesn't really matter for Najee mm-hmm. Harris because he's already one of the best receiving running backs in football. And so when Pittsburgh's offensive line is failing to create space, they can just as easily replace Harris's touches on the ground with, with, with uh, touches in a short to quick passing game. Joe Mixon is not a highest-end bell cow. He's a highest-end workhorse. He just doesn't see enough... Yeah targets to qualify therefore Cincinnati's win-loss record is crucially important as is the strength of their offensive line these are all concerns for non-bell cows this is a massive concern for Derrick Henry the thing with Mixon is it's mm-hmm. not at all a concern if we think Cincinnati's <laughs> going to win more games have better positive game script and their offensive line is going to be better Cincinnati led on only 34 percent of their plays last season that ranked 18th most this year they're projected to finish sixth best in win percentage. Their offensive line, 13th worst in PFF run block grade last year, is now probably top eight following the additions of Ted Karras, Alex Kappa, Lyle Collins. And so he's not a bell cow. He's a game script dependent workhorse. But game script's going to be good. Uh, the offensive line is going to be good. Like this team is going to smash. This is an offense you want. And this was one of the most run heavy offenses when leading last year, the offense really ran through Joe Mixon. And then you could even make a case that he should be a bell cow because I mean, I've been arguing that since college. And then last year, the decision to keep Samaj P Ryan in that third down role you can argue literally cost the team a Super Bowl victory. It was third and one, Super Bowl on the line. Samaji P. Ryan, I think, a target zero yards. Fourth and one, Super Bowl on the line. Samaji P. Ryan carry zero yards. Um, 
you can make a case that maybe he should be a bell cow, but uh, I've heard B saying he's getting a lot more targets this year, not on third or fourth down. Uh, But just like tea leaf reading the quotes from Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan, I don't think his role is going to change really maybe a few more targets. I could definitely see that. Um, So like all of these, I think I should like Joe Mixon more than I do. Um, But he's RB 12 and it's just like, I just like the other guys and I see more upside, but I do really like Joe. I think if you, if you want to take Joe Mixon RB six, I might've had him RB six last year, honestly. And uh, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with it. Najee Harris. um, I have, I have RB six and this is something you could talk me down on. Uh, Graham just kind of made the best case where he's like, he's the ultimate bell cow. You're the bell cow guy. You need to have him. RB six or better. And it's hard to agree with that. So the best stats you can look at is snaps weighted opportunity, or if you have XFP, like I do, which is just basically a better weighted opportunity, looking at those by total numbers, per per game numbers, market share numbers. And it was just clear. Najee Harris was head and shoulders above anyone else. He was first in snaps per game, first in weighted opportunity percentage, uh, first in snap share, second XFP per game. He was one of just six running backs in NFL history with at least as many carries and as many targets as he had in a single season. Uh, we've talked about this before. Mike Tomlin is just as much of a bell cow proponent as I am and like rivaled by no one. Uh, the problems with Harris or that the offensive line is bad, the team is going to be bad. The thing is, I don't see how the offensive line is worse. I don't see how the offense or quarterback play is worse. I just don't think it's going to be significantly better. Uh, And that's what I keep walking back to. But like, you know, my model loved him. I loved him. I had him as a Steven Jackson type, you know, archetypal bell cow. And, you know, that's what he showed us in year one. So um, it's just hard to to avoid that volume. Yeah. I, you, I'm not going to argue to lower Najee at all. Opportunity, opportunity, opportunity. No, nobody's going to see more than him. I mean, he is a lock for that. Even if things around him haven't improved much, they did add a couple linemen that it can't get worse than what it is. So, uh, you know, big Ben was a corpse at that stage, maybe Pickett or Trubisky or whoever wins that is Rudolph at this point. Who knows? Can't be much worse than what big Ben was. So I think Najee is what you got last year. Maybe they try to reduce it a little bit, but Tomlin never has. 24.7 opportunities. Whenever he's had a Bell or a James Conner, now Najee, his new guy, no argument for me. I can't, I can't really argue to lower him. I would say maybe reconsider Mixon a little bit just for all the reasons you said. There's, there's nothing – he was a game you – know, I, I know, I know. You know, you, you, all those things were true about him. Game script dependent. He only got 17% of the long down and distance work, 42% of the two-minute. All that was true last year, and he – Still finished as the RB4. Now he gets a better line, probably better game scripts because this offense should just take yet another step forward. And I think one thing that nobody's talking about with the Bengals, not enough people are talking about the offensive line. So I'm glad you brought that up. It's going to be literally night and day. The best holes this guy has yeah. ever seen in his professional career. He hasn't had a good line yet. So I, I, one, I'm just stoked for that. It's huge. But another thing is, is when Zach Taylor first got to the Bengals, they were among the, the fastest paced teams in the NFL, they, they were first in plays, eighth in situation neutral pace, like passed a bunch, which I guess the pass rate might not help Mixon. Although, again, I, I agree with your case. He shouldn't be the third down guy, but they were a pedal to the metal kind of team. 
Maybe that was by necessity because they just weren't that good. But now they, they they were 24th and 30 24th in plays, 30th in pace. If they just move that up a little bit because they have a better line, and you've already heard Tyler Boyd reference, you know, we can go no huddle all game with how comfortable we now feel in this offense. If they pick that up a little bit, and that means Mixon's in there, kind of like what I was saying with Jonathan Taylor. I, to me, Mixon's kind of like a Jonathan Taylor light in a way, touchdown dependent, game script dependent, but gets it done because those two things are working in his favor. I think this could be even closer. He could close the gap even more between himself and Taylor by getting 20-ish touchdowns within this offense this year. So I think the argument you made for Mixon was perfect. I don't see why he's not a little bit higher for you in that case. (laughs) I mean, I disagree. Every time I look at the rankings, I say the same thing. Um, I don't know. We'll we'll have to touch back on this. We will. Bump Henry down another spot or something. Maybe that's what it takes. Well, we'll move into, is there any other nuggets you want? I, I think we've covered those guys very thoroughly. Yeah. Uh, we'll move into these kind of, the, the second rounders uh, is typically where they go. And these aren't very far off from the underdog uh, where Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, Kamara is starting to creep up. I do have him a little bit higher than his underdog ADP. A lot of that is because he was driven down by the suspension. I obviously at 10 am ranking him as if I think he's playing the whole year with the, the delay in the suspension hearing and all that. Obviously I would have to reconsider if we get any word here, but I'm going in with him as a top 10 and then Swift also frequently in that, that early to mid second round kind of range is how you see him going on underdog. It's how I have him ranked too. So we're kind of aligned with underdog ADP. I am at least, what do you think of these guys? Yeah. Who do you have at the top? Let's, let's go in order. I have Aaron Jones at eight. Yeah. So again, I wrote 16,000 words on the top 20 running backs And every year it seems like I write at least half of the total word count on Aaron Jones because (laughs) he's, he doesn't fit any archetype. He's not a workhorse. He's not a scat back on steroids. What he is, is he's basically if a highest end bell cow was forever and inexplicably capped at 60% of the snaps, but crucially inside the 10 zone, He's a highest end bell cow with like a 75% snap share. And he's also one of the most efficient touchdown scorers in NFL history. Yeah. Okay. Here's where I'm at with him. Not a, probably not a bell cow, but has massive bury you upside over the last three seasons. He's finished third, fourth. And then last year, 13th in fantasy points per game. What went wrong? Obviously AJ Dillon stole some more work, but interestingly, that all coincided with a key injury to, to Aaron Jones. I think maybe a lot of people are missing. He had a week 10 MCL sprain. Mm. And so Aaron Jones snap share went from 65% to 50%. He went from 16.7 XFP per game to 10.8. That's basically the difference between Joe Mixon's workload and Mark Ingram's workload. So that is not a small difference. Uncoincidentally, A.J. Dillon saw a 90% jump in XFP per game. That's big. Uh, The biggest thing to me is touchdown usage. And so, again, um, he's like if you had a highest-end bell cow capped at 60% of snaps. But over the last three seasons, he's had 74%, 68%, and last year 57% of the team snaps inside the 10 zone. Crucially, prior to his knee injury, he was at 78%. Mm. And so uh, 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 
Uh, here's here's a stat. Sorry, over Jones' final six games, Dylan earned a 74% share of the backfield XTD. Across their other 18 games they played together, Jones was at 73%. So basically, it just completely filled, flipped, and that is so crucially important because so the Packers running backs have averaged 19.7 touchdowns per season over the last three years. This usage flip is the difference between Aaron Jones scoring 14 touchdowns and four. So that is like absolutely massive. And so like you look at these splits and the question then is how much of this was due to injury? How much of this was due to the MCL sprain versus is it possible the team just liked Dylan in this increased role? AJ Dillon ranked third among all running backs in PFF grade. He ranked third in PFF run grade, significantly higher than Aaron Jones, who granted always ranks top five because he's awesome. Yeah. And so these are all of the concerns I have. I just don't really feel they're terribly compelling. I, I just, I think Jones is amazing. I think, again, he's one of the most efficient touchdown scorers of all time. I think he reverts back to that 10 zone bell cow role. And then, of course, there's the stat everyone is talking about on Twitter every time you mention him, which is in the seven games without Devontae Adams, 6.7 targets, 25.9 fantasy points per game. I don't think Jones is immediately now the wide receiver one without Devontae Adams. I do think he's going to get a few more targets. But more importantly, you know, Devontae Adams leads all wide receivers and touchdowns inside the 10 targets Mm -hmm. last two years. I think he's going to get more touchdowns. He has, like, massive weekly upside, massive touchdown upside what do you have 22 seasons ago 18 two seasons ago yeah and so he was someone i really struggled with like the analysis on him was trickier than anyone else the uh, classification for bell cow is the trickier than anyone else just uh not a bell cow doesn't really matter massive upside but at the end of the day we know at an absolute minimum he's capped at 60 percent of the snaps because that's what he's always been unless of course you know this new play caller wants a bell cow, but I, I don't see that super likely. So I have him RB nine and he's just a, a lot of volatility goes into that projection. Yeah. A lot to unpack there, but my, I love all the statues cited. I love the term massive bury you upside too, by the way, except to shout that out. That's fantastic. I think what ends up happening after hearing those, it's not necessarily the, the stat before the injury and after the injury, those expected touchdown rate, Flipping, I didn't actually realize that. That's incredible in terms of me now ranking Dylan a little bit higher in my head here because I don't think that necessarily flips backwards because Dylan kind of proved my, – my guess is what happened is it wasn't necessarily that Aaron Jones was bad at it or the team was like, we like Dylan better. He just proved I can do this really well too. It gives them an opportunity to not have to wear down Aaron Jones in that role despite him being also great at it. But then I think it can also offset so, – so Dylan's getting more, Dylan's getting his – and then, as you mentioned with the receiving stuff, you remove all those touchdowns for Devontae Adams. Like, Dylan can get some, and so can Aaron Jones now bump up his receiving work. That uh, The whole, again, uh, update of 26 fantasy points per game, nearly, like, what was it, 2,083 yards from scrimmage, 25 total touchdowns. He won't get that many because, again, Dylan, I do think, gets the bump. But I, I, I see a world where kind of both of those worlds – end up happening where Jones gets a little bit more receiving touchdowns, more receiving work. So he stays really solid at your nine ranking. And Dylan just, you remember that whole Mark Ingram Kamara type of season? Maybe we get something not far from that. Cause really who else is the 
the better weapons than these two running backs. Number three in pro football focus, great for Dylan. I didn't realize that. Like, who else is better for that offense than those two guys touching it as much as humanly possible? I, to be fair, that was like a massive outlier season, the Ingram Kamara season. I think like the past 30 years, there's only been like three seasons where two running backs in the same team finishes RB1s. It was them, Chubb and Hunt, and Jordan Howard and Tariq Cohen, I oh, want to yeah. say. So only three in like 30 years. So like it just like rarely happens. But like, hey, like if any team has that potential, and Dylan has said like his goal for the season is for both him and Aaron Jones to get. 1,000 rushing yards. And, you know, I, I'm inclined to think AJ Dillon is just the most expensive workhorse where he has the best standalone value, but it's still like best case scenario, low end RB2 value, which is like basically worthless outside of, you know, it's not winning you championships. It's going to help for bi week villains, but it's not winning you games. Uh, I like Kareem Hunt. I think I think he's just like the, the cheaper version of that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, I could, I could be wrong. Um, but yeah, ultimately Aaron Jones, RB nine, and he was a tricky one for me. Yeah, definitely a lot to to unpack there. We'll pack. We're going to move on to my number nine running back before we do. If you haven't already, please consider hitting that thumbs up button. If you're enjoying the content, it does truly help us continue to grow and get out to more people like shares, retweets, all that good stuff is so greatly appreciated. If you're liking what you hear, it does help us greatly. So thank you so much for considering to do that. All right, I have Saquon Barkley at number nine, your boy from the Giants. If you're still a Giants fan over there, season ticket holder, despite being in Houston, what are your thoughts on Barkley and your shoe Giants over there? Yeah, so I, I, I gave up my uh, Giants season tickets, but <laughs> oh, <laughs> uh, could you do that? But I, <laughs> I know, still, still have a lot of love in my heart for the Giants, and like finally optimistic for the first time in maybe six seasons, yeah. but. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, the, the bull case argument for Saquon Barkley is very easy. It's He's the closest thing to Christian McCaffrey mm-hmm. when he's healthy. Um, he was not healthy last season. Like, I had a phone call with Dr. Chow a number of years ago where it was actually after Dalvin Cook's rookie season. Who like, I love Dalvin Cook. And he was like, no, 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 don't, don't draft him this year. Never draft a running back his first year back from ACL. Draft him the following season. He's going to be fully healthy. But that first year – there's high injury risk in terms of compensatory injuries, which we saw, and a high risk of a decline in efficiency, which we saw. Um, but prior to last season, uh, Barkley averaged 16 carries, 6.5 targets per game throughout his career. That's you know 90%, 80% on the Christian McCaffrey scale. More impressively, he played on at least 77% of the snaps in 27 of 31 career games. Uh, I mean, 77% snaps, like Najee Harris is the only one hitting that mark last year. Uh, so the upside, like just, you know, highest end bell cow, Brian Dable, it's a massive upgrade. Uh, he wants to feature Barkley in the passing game. The offensive line has improved. Um, it's just like so easy to make. Uh, but but ultimately he slides in an RB11. And I think that's just me and my old age finally becoming a little more weary of, of these injuries that, that tend to add up and like increase the risk of catastrophic ruin. Uh, but I mean, I still think he's an amazing, you know, risk reward play at, at ADP. I, I think there's a chance, you know, he could finish top three if he's healthy, but uh, really a lot comes down to that, that injury thing for me. Yeah. It'd be 80%, 90% C-Mac is really 
both the the reward and the risk. It's the same exact kind of player. He's he's arbitrage, yeah. McCaffrey, that's the best way to put it. it it's really not much different. I think one once podcast I heard that I really like JJ Zacharyson was talking about just positive team regression and the Giants just by historical numbers were due to score 14 or more touchdowns than they were without just considering any other factors but as you mentioned Brian Dable this genius coming in like they might blow that touchdown regression out of the water so if that's the case and especially if Saquon Barkley's healthy for that he might go nuts. Like it could be 15 touchdowns, Saquon Barkley, in addition to all the volume. We haven't seen something like that yet. We rookie year, he had all the volume, all the yards and scored, a, you know, 10, 12 touchdowns. But if you had just a few more touchdowns to that, it could be like not even 90% Christian McCaffrey. It could be genuinely the, the league winner of the year. So the fact that he's already moving up all over the formation, already being involved as receiver, the clips, like he just looks so much better in these clips. I know you never want to, overjudge clips on air but from what he was looking like last year to what you're seeing on the the clips this year it's a different player right now so i'm enjoying it i i was wary to go back in on him i guess if i'm it's again the the burning of c-mac to me i guess is more personal at this point because i haven't had barkley in a couple seasons so maybe that's why i'm more willing to take the injury risk with barkley and not c-mac um but yeah (laughs) i'm moving on yeah faster pace too and like you talk about regression They were the worst team in the NFL last season by my metric, like the differential between team fantasy points scored and XFP. So yeah, massive regression for Barkley and like everyone on that team. And the line too. We didn't even talk about you know, They've invested first round talent multiple years, whether it pans out or not. Like it can't be right. worse than the lines he's dealing with similar to, to Mixon in that sense. So a lot of things to like about Barkley for sure. Kamara comes in at my 10. Uh, of course, like I said, before we, we got into this tier, that assumes he's playing the full season. Where do you have Kamara sliding? And you've always been a huge Kamara guy. What are your thoughts on him? So we haven't yet got to my RB3, RB5, and RB7. Wow. <laughs> Kamara's my RB3. These guys. Do we just Kamara's jump to those guys RB3. instead? <laughs> well, uh, we can't, we're getting to them next. So they're, they're three of your next four. Uh, Kamara's my RB3. Okay. And so I outline in, in the article, like every single guy, I talk about obviously the concerns and then I talk about how, how compelling I find those concerns. And with Kamara, it's, he could be facing a suspension of at least six games. All right, well, let's talk about it. The final six games of the season matter exponentially more than the first six games of the season. His most likely handcuff, Mark Ingram, can be drafted in round 16, We know this offense typically employs a bell cow when one of the top two running backs is is hurt. I I think you combine Ingram, if it is Ingram, it might not be, but most likely Ingram, with those six games with Kamara for the remainder. I think that's easy RB3 outputs at worst. Um, But I also don't think he gets suspended. I don't think he gets suspended until 2023. There's a nightmare scenario where the Saints are out of the playoff hunt. Like, you know, the he settles or something and he like suspend. I just like, don't find that compelling, but like you could hand him a six game suspension tomorrow. And I'm still like him at RB three. Keep in mind, he's RB 15 by ADP. The second concern is he lost, he arguably last year was his worst year. Uh, he lost Drew Brees. Drew Brees always targeted running backs at the single highest rate in all of fantasy football, in all of football. Okay, well, 
with Jameis Winston over the past two seasons on all of his dropbacks, uh, Winston targeted Kamara on a team high 22% of his throws. That's more than Kamara's average over the last four seasons. That was identical to Drew Brees in his last full season. The third point is, okay, Sean Payton's gone. And Sean Payton is an unrivaled RB whisperer. His team ranks basically first in team running back PPR points every single year. Okay, is that a concern? And I don't think so. The OC is Pete Carmichael, who called plays for the team in 2012 when Sean Payton was suspended. And not only did the Saints lead the league in running back receptions, receiving yards, touchdowns, but they were all near franchise highs, which is like incredible given like that history. So like walking through every single one of these, I just don't find it terribly compelling. And then when you move beyond that, look at what he's done throughout his career. He's finished fourth, fourth, eighth, first, and sixth in fantasy points per game. When he finished eighth, he was seriously hurt. When he finished sixth last year, he was seriously hurt. And the team had Trevor Simeon, a crippled Taysom Hill, Ian Book (laughs) combining for over two-thirds of the team's dropbacks. It was far and away their worst season ever by – you know, a 30%, 35% drop in points per game. But crucially, Kamara saw the best usage of his career. Career high, 76% snap share. That was up from a prior career high of 69%. He led all players at all positions in team XFP percentage. He did see a decline in targets, uh, but I mean, a lot more carries. And this is the most fantasy efficient running back of all time. He is three of the top 15 seasons all time by fantasy points per touch. There's not more than, you know, two duplicate names in the top, you know, 30. And he did it three times. So he's just like an absolute monster. And he was hurt where he had an 80% snap share prior to week nine. And then that dropped to 71% following the injury. Just, uh, I, he, He's RB3, and it's it's really rare you get values like this, especially in today's day and age. And so my last article, I wrote 6,000 words on why, in a vacuum, RBRB is the op- optimal start. In the vast majority of leagues, it's proven to be optimal in a vacuum. But we don't live in a vacuum. We live in a world where you can draft Alvin Kamara at the tail end of round three mm-hmm. and fuck it. Like he's a circle, your draft player where you go into the draft saying, I am taking this guy in round three at all costs. And that's where I have him. Did I, did you find this compelling? Because otherwise like I am scared because no. like I am way off the markets on this. No, I, I thought I was high at 10 and all the reason you outlined, like makes me think I just need to bump him up. I've been taking him round three in every best ball draft I've done that he's there. Even early round, you know, later round two, I've been scooping him there. Um, RB, RB, RB is often how I'll start my drafts. And I love that to get Kamara in third because, as you mentioned, even if there's a suspension, I've already gotten two, hopefully, bell cows ahead of him. And that Mark Ingram insurance policy is around 16 price, maybe even cheaper. He's going around 18 sometimes, I I see here. The only thing I can add to it, I I mean, I, I have nothing to detract from it. I have. No argument against it other than maybe the line's a little bit worse, but that's never mattered for Kamara, so I'm not overly worried there. The only thing that can benefit, you, you talked about a crippled Simeon and Jason Hill and all that awful quarterback situation. When he did have Jameis Winston, he averaged 19.9 fantasy points per game. That would have been the RB4 last year, and that was with 
their number one threat being Marquez Callaway on the outside. So no wonder his efficiency dropped a little bit last year. You give now Olave, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas is looking healthy again. Sure, that eats into the workload a little bit as a receiver, but as an offense, that offense should be astronomically better with Jameis Winston healthy with those weapons around him. I think it's going to be a huge step forward for his efficiency yet again, like back to the the Kamara we're used to with, if we get the usage he got last year that you outlined, RB3 is dead right in that, that potential world. So I don't think you're crazy at all. I can't talk you off that ledge. I mean, it's just such a mass. If that's right, and I think it's right. That's just like such a massive edge for, for drafters until that ADP changes. If it does, hopefully it doesn't. I, I hope not either because I have been hammering it. So I'm glad you're on the same page with me as Kamara. I was worried that was going to be one where you're like, you're crazy. He's my running back 15. So I, you're even higher than me and I love it. So maybe I need to bump him up. I was nervous to put him too much higher than 10, but I, I like him. Honestly, the way you talked about him, I like him more than Jones, Barkley. Like, yeah, <laughs> I love it. Great case. Great case indeed. So the next tier, and again, it sounds like you've got at least a couple of these guys uh, in, in the top, potentially five. So I'm intrigued to hear which ones. I actually have a very good idea as to which one it's going to be. Uh, but these are the guys that are going at the 2-3 turn. Hey, you forgot about my RB5. Oh, yes, yes, DeAndre Swift. Sorry, I didn't mean to skip over. Number 11 for me. Uh, so I'm certainly lower than you are on him, but you have him at RB5, and I'd love to hear why. Yeah, so again, I, I make in the article uh, the bull case argument, the bear case argument. I'll, I'll make the bull case argument here. You can give me your bear case, which I, I, didn't, I didn't find terribly compelling. But... Uh, the argument in favor of him is extremely easy. He suffered a shoulder injury in week 12 that caused him to miss the next four games. Prior to that injury, he averaged 14.1 carries, 7.1 targets, 18.6 to 18.9 XFP and fantasy points per game. Uh, so first in targets, fourth in XFP, fourth in fantasy points per game. If you want to compare this to McCaffrey's 2019 season, he was only 3.8 carries and 0.2 targets per game behind. Mm. And then I think there's room for that role to grow, as shocking as that sounds. Uh, for one thing, Swift spent seven of those 10 games on the injury report with a prior, with a, a separate injury, a groin injury. And then for another, uh, Jamal Williams was still getting 33% of the team's backfield XFP, which means like he didn't actually have a massive share of the backfield pie at least not in comparison to Najee Harris's near 90%. But the pie itself was was very large. Um, And I mean, Jamal Williams has never been anything better than extremely mediocre. Um, And Swift, I mean, was only getting better. His snap share jumped from 63% to 76% over his final seven games prior to injury. He hit career highs of 130-plus Rushing, rushing yards in each of his final two games. And then if you just read reports out of camp, it, time and time again, it's Swift looks like the best player on the team. <clears throat> He's a focal point near the end zone. He's one of the best pass catchers on the team, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so that's, that, that's the easy bull case argument. What's, what's your counter? Because they're there. I don't have much against him uh, more. So I like the players going ahead of him a bit more. The bull case is very strong. 
I guess the, the biggest concerns are one again, injury, I guess the, the old, as you said, the old man concern, he's missed three plus games in both seasons. And I know he's looking you know, huge right now. He's ripped as hell. And I love to see it. Uh, but the, one of my big concerns, actually, I think it was you. Yep. I'm looking at it right now. I have a, an article prepared with uh, the DeAndre Swift argument. And I have a tweet from you is once Dan Campbell took over as offensive coordinator, Anthony Lynn was fired mid season and he has been, whether it was, you know, Austin Eckler, LaShawn McCoy, there's been a pretty rich history of Anthony Lynn really using his running backs to perfection. Uh, when Dan Campbell took over, we saw five, zero, nine, seven, and 16 receiving yards for DeAndre Swift, whereas we saw Amon Rossi Brown light it up, start getting backfield snaps, start kind That's of right. going crazy. So I, I, I'm using your exact tweet against you here. So 5.9, 51.9 receiving yards per game under Lynn, three receptions, 7.4. Uh, and kind of more of an ill-fitting grinder role, it seemed to be, under uh, Campbell. We also had, you know, PFF grades weren't all that kind to uh, Swift. I, you're not going to base all your rankings on PFF grades, but the fact that he was below average as a runner, and he wasn't even, like, insanely high as a receiver. I think he was right around average as a receiver. That My eyeballs tell me differently. I know as a receiver this guy is damn special, so I'm not going to try to use PFF to to tell me otherwise. But just all those kind of concerns adding up, not a great rusher. Dan Campbell's already kind of talked about how do we manage his workload and keep him healthy. You know, Jamal Williams did see in in close contests where they were only trailing by three or, God forbid, leading at some point last year that Jamal Williams played 41% of the snaps compared to 55% for Swift as well. So the gap was a little bit closer. To me, of like all these top 12, he's the one I have the biggest concerns about having, you know, 20-plus touches a game. If he does, all the different efficiency metrics we've seen, like he does have the case to be in that top three, maybe even RB1 conversation. But compared to the other guys ahead of him, he's the one that I find the easiest to bump down, I guess. Yeah, so I, I work really hard to try and poke holes in all of my arguments. And, and those were the two main points I, I came up with. Then I see if I can try and poke holes in those arguments. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I think I did, I mean, like the... Basically what happened was he morphed from a scat back on steroids, my classification in 2020, into a bell cow in 2021 under Lynn. And then he was randomly a workhorse under Dan Campbell slash Ben Johnson. And that was just like super weird. Still like it's a very small sample injuries impacted at least those final three games. And then beyond that, I mean, he ranks 12th all time in receptions through his first career 26 games. He ranks just ahead of LaDainian Tomlinson and Matt Forte. He just like does ridiculous things as uh, a running back, like oftentimes lined up even as a wide receiver. Like maybe he'll get some of that Amon Ra work. Like I could really see that being the case. So like ultimately I, I brought it up. I, I think it's worth talking about. I, I don't know. It's a major concern. The other thing you brought up was the lack of efficiency. I think that's, legitimate. He was the single least efficient runner last year in between the tackles. Mm. He ranked uh, third worst of 50 qualifying running backs in PFF grade, dead last in football outsiders DVOA. Jamal Williams is better by every metric. And so, you know me, you know where I stand on this. I, I only care about running back efficiency in so far as it relates to running back volume. Maybe there's a concern. He was so inefficient. He sees less work, but I think it's highly unlikely. He was amazing in college. He was amazing as a rookie. What happened, I think, again, he was hurt for most of the season, like even before that second injury, 
but also Detroit has like a top five offensive line, but he didn't for the majority of last season, pro bowl center, Frank Ragno was out 13 games, left tackle Taylor Decker was out eight games. Um, and so, and the other thing you brought up was injuries and maybe limiting touches. I did not get that vibe at all. I'm like, I'm someone who like does try and tea leaf read the post draft pressers, but I thought this one was pretty clear. And it was, uh, I don't know if you remember in June, but, uh, the running back coach Deuce Staley called out DeAndre Swift and was trying to teach him the difference between playing through hurt and playing through injured. And he was like, listen, we need you. You're one of the best players on the team. We envision like massive workload for you and you're going to get better. Basically like the concern wasn't Swift getting hurt. It was Swift being a wussy and like not being on the field. And that just like kind of fits with the Dan Campbell bite kneecaps off ethos. And so, um, yeah, he's my RB5. He's another player who could embarrass me. He's another player I'm sort of alone on, but uh, I, I I feel good about it. There we go. Absolutely. Yeah, and the more I'm reading this quote that had me concerned, he was talking about we had to pull it back last year. He missed shoot man a week and a half, two weeks of camp for the most part, and we never got him prepared to take a load. And then the more you read it, it's like we really want him prepared to take a load. So I think I kind of was cherry-picking parts of the quote to help me. It seems like this quote, uh, he's got quite a load. Yeah, they, they want him to take a bigger load. And if he holds up to it, he's going to be a beast. But I guess to me, he was – I just love – it's so hard to poke holes into really all as I scroll down these top 12. Uh, to me, he's the one that just, I guess, comes out of the gut in a way. Like, I am worried that it just kind of he, – he doesn't hold up to the workload and whatnot. But if he does, he's going to make me look like a complete idiot. So we will see. Um, I have, I have that weird gut feeling on Travis Etienne where like, I feel like I should like him so much more than, than I do. Um, yeah, but I mean, to me, he, he seems like he's Austin Eckler in a worst case scenario, Christian McCaffrey, 90% in a best case scenario. So, uh, really like him, but yeah, let's get to your RB 12, my RB 17. Again, this is half point PPR rankings. Also, I should say this article is very start-sit-based in best ball. Uh, It doesn't really matter as much. Like, you can go super cheap on running backs, like scat backs are more valuable and all that stuff. This is very – my stuff is very start-sit-based. I will say before we get into Nick Chubb, Eckler over Swift. I I feel like Eckler's (laughs) 20 times – all that, that would be Swift's best case (laughs) in my opinion. If he gets used like that and has that type of scenario happen, so – that's the one out of all the rankings. The only one I'm like, Eckler's at eight and Swift's at five. All the others, I, I love it all. But that's the only one I would uh, urge you to maybe reconsider is Eckler's ranking as compared to Swift. <laughs> yeah, I, I get it. I get it. But uh, yeah, let's move on to number 12. And your my 12 is Nick Chubb. He's your 17. I will admit, I bumped him up to 12 thinking Deshaun Watson was going to be playing 10-ish games this year. It's now looking like it's getting appealed and – that part of the, the stat I loved was that Nick Chubb, and, and this was from right from your um, either weighted opportunity or anatomy. I read them all, so they all blend together. I'm not sure which one it was. They're all great. Uh, that he averages over three points more per game in wins. And I was just thinking, Nick Chubb, more wins. Deshaun Watson going to probably produce more wins. And then they had the easiest schedule leading up to Deshaun Watson's suspension as well, uh, ending. So ultimately, I just saw a great schedule and then Deshaun Watson coming in, and that just meaning – Win, 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 win. Dick Chubb, three, three, three. And it, again, is Deshaun Watson going to win every game? I don't know, but he's certainly going to open up running lanes, create more touchdown opportunities. That might now be out the window, though. So I might have to. I had Chubb down at like 16 before coming on. 
and then with Deshaun Watson, I, I've been bumping him up. So I don't know if that's going to change anything for your opinion or argument, but 12 is very uh, dependent on Deshaun Watson playing, I should say. All right. I, I got two stats for you. Okay. And uh, I, I, I feel like you're going to move him down two spots after I read off each stat. <laughs> Uh, and these are just like wild stats. Like I, I first came across them four months ago and it like shook me to my core. I forgot about it. I came across it again a month ago, shook me to my core. All right. So Nick Chubb missed week six and seven due to injury last year. <clears throat> Kareem Hunt got hurt in week six and then was never again fully healthy. He only had 12 touches the remainder of the season. Prior to those injuries, so weeks one through five, Kareem Hunt, was fantasy football's RB4, averaging 18.7 fantasy points per game. Nick Chubb was fantasy's RB9. Now, keep in mind, Hunt is being drafted five to six rounds behind Chubb. Yeah. Even though he outproduced him and was a high-end RB1 prior to injury. All right. Down two spots. (laughs) Next stat. Next stat. In 2019, Kareem Hunt outscored Chubb in six of the eight games the two played together. Mm. Over the next two seasons, so over the last two seasons, Chubb and Hunt were healthy and fully healthy and active in only 16 full games. In those, like, that they played together. In those 16 games, Chubb outcarried Hunt 274 to 177. Hunt out-targeted Chubb 60 to 24. Mm. In other words, the value of their respective roles was nearly identical by weighted opportunity points per game, 12.9 to Hunt's 12.8. Even by fantasy points per game, Chubb was not that much better. He averaged 17.9 fantasy points per game to Hunt's 14.9. So only a three-point difference. That's RB8 versus RB17. Chubb is being drafted as the RB13, Hunt is being drafted as the RB31 um, in, in games. Uh, oh, here's another good stat. In games Hunt has played, Chubb only gets 61% of the backfield XTD. So it's also a very heavy committee near the end zone, which is crucially important. So you, you said a lot hinges on Deshaun Watson, and that's exactly right. That's exactly right. Deshaun Watson is one of my highest owned players. I, I think now I was very bullish. I was expecting honestly like six to eight games. Uh, but I think based on the news today, uh, a full season suspension is the most likely outcome. Yeah. The NFLPA just has no recourse. And that was really what everything was riding on. I like, I thought Nick Chubb would outscore Derrick Henry in games to Sean Watson starts. You just can't underestimate the impact. Like that's now a top seven offense with top five game script and Chubb is an all-time freak outlier, one of the best pure runners in the history of football. He's a freak of nature. Uh, but now, no, now we're looking at a full season of Jacoby Brissett. We're looking at, you know, a bottom four offense, a bottom six team. And you, you, you brought it up. Chubb is far more productive in wins than losses. Hunt is more productive in losses than wins. <laughs> Hunt is just like the arbitrage play of the, the decade. So like I, I'm not drafting uh, Chubb. I, I'm, I'm drafting Hunt all day. I think there's a – I don't have it on me either, but I think Brissett has a pretty good rate of targeting the running backs. I'd have to look it up 
Um, oh, interesting. Yeah, there. Somebody tweeted it out the other day, and in, in favor of Hunt as well. I, I got to find that one. But send that to me, please. Yeah. If, if I find it, I will be sure to send that your way. I will tell you this: when I was assuming there was a point of the offseason, I thought Watson was going to be done for the year, and I had Chubb. I think at RB twenty one, like below David Montgomery. So everything you just said only makes me feel stronger about just sending him plummeting down the board, even though I think in terms of player to watch and runner and just ability, one of the best great locker room presence for your fantasy locker room. I mean, the dude's a man. He is an absolute beast. He leads by example. But in this case, if it's a Jacoby Brissett offense and this team is going to be in those type of just disgusting slugfests, no thank you. Uh, so, yeah, no, you won't get much argument from me. Just this news today about – Watson potentially being out for the year. This was assuming we had 10 plus games of him. So Chubb will be very I mean, easy to downgrade. <laughs> very easy to grade. But again, like, you know, a true outlier, rare talent. Again, yeah. very easy to down. I'm low on him. But at the same time, like the Browns haven't been good in most of their seasons in recent memory, but he's averaged five, at least five yards per carry in each of his four career seasons, which is like, you just. <laughs> Give it to him twice and it's a first down. What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, he's just such a freak. But uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, uh, it's just going to be so great because I, I don't love Baker, but at least Baker, like Brissett offenses are just the worst. Like I don't want I don't want any piece of that offense. Maybe Hunt based on some of these stats you're saying. Oh, man, it's too bad, too, because I, I do love Chubb. I love Chubb as a player. So that's too bad. Uh, this is a guy I expect to be probably inside your top 10 and – it's getting harder and harder for me to keep him outside of mine because I really don't have a good argument. My number 13, Leonard Fournette, other than I, I really liked Rashad White. A lot of the reasons I like Rashad White are things that you've talked about. You know, one of the best pass catching backs we've seen come out in years. Uh, but Brady also, the, the counter to that is always Brady has the guys he trusts and, and that's who he wants on the field. And it seems like that's going to be Leonard Fournette. Well, Leonard Fournette's fat. He's not going to be, you know, Brady's going to be mad at him. He's going to force him out. Well, he's already lost the weight now. And every kind of argument I would probably make to be against Fournette, I, I really just don't see it being very valid. So I would rather you just kind of go in and rave about why Leonard Fournette's amazing, unless I'm wrong and that's not the guy you're in love with. But I've I've read your stuff and I'm pretty sure you're absolutely in love with him. Yeah, he's my RB7. And yeah. I particularly like contrasting him to Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler is RB3 by ADP. Fournette is RB11. And so, like I said, I think Eckler sees less work. I think he's due for a regression. I think it was like a, a best ever year for him where everything that could go right did go right. I mean, again, there's a lot of outs. He's amazing. The offense is amazing. But so last year, he, he finished with the RB3, 21.5 fantasy points per game. Fournette finishes the RB4. But, but again, Eckler, 21.5 fantasy points per game. Over Leonard Fournette's last four healthy games, he averaged 30.3 fantasy points per game. That's better than Christian McCaffrey's 2019 season. Yeah, 15.5 carries, eight targets per game. McCaffrey had 8.9 in that season. Over Leonard Fournette's last six healthy games, 25.3 fantasy points per game, 7.8 targets per game. Over his last 11 full healthy games, 22.2 fantasy points per game. And again, Austin Eckler, best ever season, 21.5. Leonard Fournette's last 18 healthy games, 20 fantasy points per game, so only 1.5 off of Eckler, his last 18. And keep in mind, like, volume was (coughs) 
trending better and better as the season went on, but yeah. also just better than Eckler's volume last year by snap share, weighted opportunity, XFP, anything on a market share basis. And keep in mind, I kept saying last healthy games. I removed one game from that sample. It was uh, the game uh, against the Saints where he got hurt on the second drive of the third quarter. The Buccaneers got shut out. He was on pace for 17 carries and 13 targets. Like arguably that game makes him look even better. Uh, but again, like you do have to contrast him to Eckler and like Eckler has things working in his, his advantage. It's like, even if Spiller's awesome, I don't think he is. I think Rashad white is drastically better than, than Spiller. Mm-hmm. Eckler is so good that he's going to command this role no matter what, like he's a lock for, 150 carries, 70 targets, something along those lines, no matter what, because he is that good. Fournette, you could argue, is far more just merely a product of his environment and role. I think he's been amazing with the Buccaneers, but, I mean, this is the same guy who uh, the Jaguars couldn't trade for anything. They, They cut him for cheap, and no one in the NFL really gave a fuck. And then James Robinson just came out on fewer touches and was more productive than he was the previous season. So there's like the risk there that he's just a product of his role. He's not that good. Rashad White, I love him. Maybe Rashad White is like better. Uh, But at the end of the day, it's just like hard to lose sight of this like drool inducing role and upside. And, and uh, you know, again, like it's, it's going to be hard for a rookie running back to earn Tom Brady's trust and, things of that nature. So at the end of the day, RB7, and uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah. I I don't, again, have much argument against it. My one concern is exactly what you outlined at the end. They were betting more on the role than the talent of the player, even though he has looked, especially playoff when he just looks unstoppable, an absolute monster. <laughs> but Rashad White is, I think, really, really good. So if there does become a scenario where – Fournette twists his ankle or something of that nature and they get Rashad White in there, I could see him taking this role and just being that much better than Lenny because the role is so valuable. He's just a better player. Maybe he is, maybe he's not. It's all hypothetical. The other concern too is the fact that the running back coach complaining about Fournette ad-libbing and that gets him in trouble being in the wrong place at the wrong time. It matters what Brady thinks and not this running back coach. So if Brady trusts him and that's what Brady works. <laughs> He's the real coach. Exactly. exactly. But there is just like little tea leaves that suggest, what if the, the receiving role, they, they made those comments pre-draft, then they draft the best receiving back in the, the you know entire college crop here. What, what if that just, Rashad White does earn that role because so much of the value is the fact that he saw the fourth most targets was in on 80% of the snaps. You know, if this becomes an early down versus a, a third down now coming in as the Patriots used to operate, that would be a huge ding on Fournette. So that's my one concern is the, the targets don't exactly translate over because of how good Rashad White is. But I guess we have to believe that when we see it. I mean, it's, that's, that's just the risk. Like it's, it's real. It's just, uh, I, I mean, like I, I, I watched that presser. They said he was just simply the best player on the board. They, they didn't yeah. feel this was a position of need. He's going to start low on the totem pole. We'll see what happens that we're bullish in the long term, but we love Leonard Fournette, blah, blah, blah. But I mean, I mean, he would have been the best player on my board. I think that's a good player. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's the concern. That's the concern. Yeah. And for what's left, we should say it's really hard to get Lenny off the field because of the connection him and Brady have. So, yeah, I, until otherwise, I do think at least to start the year, we're going to get that workhorse for net. He's going to be a beast. 
and maybe he just never gives up the reins and we don't really hear of Rashad White for another year or two. But I, oh, I just – yeah. The other thing is uh, pro Bowl left guard Ali Marpet yeah. retired. Ryan Jensen seriously hurt, potentially out for the full year. Alex Kappa left in free agency. Uh, so that's the left guard, center, and right guard. And Tom Brady has always seriously struggled against interior pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, even in 2020, when only Marpet missed three games, but I think uh, uh, Jensen was actually also hurt as well and just playing through injury. Uh, points per game dropped by 25%. Interceptions per game doubled. Sacks per game rose by 28%. So uh, I, I think the offensive line is going to be much worse for, for net. Uh, the only thing to, to argue back against that is like Tom Brady targets running backs more than any other quarterback. He's a hall of fame, the greatest quarterback ever. They're this, they're favorites to make the super bowl in the NFC and like blah, blah, blah. But yeah, RB seven after just weighing all this, but it's, it's a lot to weigh. Yeah. And then you mentioned too, ec- the reason I would flip flop those is like Eckler is guaranteed those 80 to 90 targets. Whereas I think we got, you know, Fournette, if he gets them, well, yeah, definitely be more valuable because of the early stuff to go with it and the role, the offense, all that. But I just know Eckler's a lock for those highly, highly valuable targets. So that's why I personally, I might, I might flip them. Yeah. It just, and it's, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know that to me, it just feels a little bit safer, but uh, you know, I, I can't blame you because those stats you cited about 30 points game more than McCaffrey. I mean, that is just, it, it's crazy. And that, that role is just insane. Um, and it's weird. Everyone forgot about it. It seems like he's, yeah. I mean, I started at running back 13. Like <laughs> I certainly you, forgot about it. Yeah. Usually a guy who averages 30 over his last four, 25 over his last six like that. You only get that early round one. So yeah, that's what I keep coming back to, but yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so the last two in my kind of like early round two or like early round three, late round two tier. And yeah, Chubb's getting bumped out of there. So I'm going to kind of get rid of him. You only kind of further convince me why I need to do that. But I, I have James Conner, then Javante Williams rounding out this tier. Um, I know the regression argument, and that's probably what you're going to have for Conner. Um, I fully get it. But then I also love the fact that it just the, the Cardinals under Cliff Kingsbury have always been a big running in the red zone team, seventh, fourth, and third in rushing touchdowns, top five and inside the 10 carries all three of those years, whether it was Kenyon Drake, whether it was James Conner, whether it was David Johnson while he was healthy, they've always just hammered running back carries. And I think Connor's just that much more efficient at capping things, these drives off than Kenyon Drake was. So no, it's going to get 18 touchdowns again, probably not. But then you, you balance that out with the, the receiving bump he got when there was no chase Edmonds, uh, 5.4 targets per game. I love your guy, Jake Tribby, one of my favorite followers. I appreciate that. He had a great one in the five games without chase Edmonds, 20.7 half PPR points per game. It was actually over 23 fantasy points per game. If you do PPR, which was more than Jonathan Taylor, uh, 20.8 touches per game, 5.4 targets, and 100% of the backfield goal line carries. Obviously, Edmonds is gone. Yes, they have Daryl Williams there, but it's like a veteran minimum minimum contract. You know, Benjamin can fuck off. He's not going to ever be a thing. So I really like Connor. I know I'm higher on him than than a lot of people. What's your take on Connor this year? Yeah, I kind of hate him. I kind of just hate him. So he is a massive touchdown regression candidate. And I, I, I wrote that up, but I've, I've started to walk it back just a little bit because, I mean, on one hand, I do think volume declines. Kyler Murray had 11 rushing touchdowns in 2020 and then only five. So I think that regresses. Good point. Um, 
but but yeah, like you look at his XTD and it's like, okay, he should have averaged like four fewer fantasy points per game. Like his numbers were absurd, but he's also been the most efficient goal line back over the last three seasons. And that's not yeah. nothing. So I, I have walked that back. What it comes down to, to me is I think the threat of a committee is far more likely than at least ADP implies. And it's just, what has Cliff Kingsbury done? All he's ever done is uh, maintain a heavy committee backfield with one workhorse, one scat back. And that's all he's ever done, except exclusively when one of those two running backs has suffered an injury, he's let them be a bell cow. And we've seen this over many seasons. Um, So last year in games Edmonds played, James Conner saw less work, less snaps, less XFP than Chase Edmonds. He averaged 11.2 fantasy points per game. Edmonds averaged more. Uh, When Edmonds returned for the playoffs following injury, he immediately outsnapped Conner 52% to 25%. And when Conner missed time, Edmonds got the role that that Connor had that bell cow roll 17 carries seven targets per game. Uh, what happened in 2020 Kenyon Drake missed a game. Edmonds played on 96% of the snaps saw 25 carries three targets in week seven of 2019. David Johnson got hurt. Drake wasn't yet on the team. Edmonds totaled 35 fantasy points on 27 carries four targets that next week Edmonds like suffered an in-game injury but he played on 90% of the snaps up to that point. He does what I think um, the Saints have always done. You, you lose one guy, okay, now you have a bell cow, but we want a committee approach. And then <clears throat> you look at the what, what's going on in the periphery, and it's all alarming to me. Because remember last year, I had a lot of Connor. I, I don't know why. Like I didn't really write him up persuasively, <laughs> but I just kept grabbing him, luckily. But he was deader than dirt. People were like, he's the most injury-prone player in football. He was unproductive and inefficient last season. And Cliff Kingsbury always employs a committee backfield. What happened last year? He ranked 22nd in yards from scrimmage per game. Touchdowns were really doing the heavy lifting. He he ranked in between Edmonds and Duke Johnson in yards for scrimmage. He ranked dead last in yards per carry among all running backs with at least 200 carries. And you know what? He probably still is the most injury-prone player in football, but it's not at all priced into ADP. Where I can go wrong with this is the contract. He is the 11th highest paid running back in the the NFL. I could be underrating his talents. You know, when he's healthy, minus that 2020 season, he's always been an easy RB1. He's a very underrated pass catcher, but I'm fading him. And I'm I'm drafting uh, Williams on that minimum contract, Eno Benjamin, who might be a joke. But uh, I just... I just, uh, given his injury history, given Kingsbury's history of letting a backup become a bell cow when there's an injury and the upside that implies, um, that's the route I'm going. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm absolutely taking Darrell Williams whenever I take Connor. And typically, uh, even when I take, you know, if I take Connor, I'm definitely taking Darrell Williams. And even if I don't, uh, I like Darrell Williams for all the reasons you cited. The RB2 in the Cardinals offense has been absolutely monstrous. I guess the only question I would have, I don't know if you could hear me from uh, I can hear you. Okay, cool. Uh, is who would that scat back be? Because the, the, the contract you mentioned and then the fact that Connor was the number three graded receiving running back you know, of PFF 
He caught 37 to 39 targets. He was their highest graded pass blocking running back as well. I don't see them necessarily taking him out of those downs. I still see him getting all of those goal line carries. Maybe he gets a little bit of a breather on early down work from Daryl Williams, who is a pretty good pass catcher too. I, I think he's going to be a monster if and when he has to fill in for Connor, just like he was uh, for, for CEH last year. But I, that's how I attack it. I love a round three James Connor. He's going at the end of round three. I love the fact that he could average 20 points per game. I can get him there, assuming Kamara's gone, of course. And then I go Daryl Williams. I kind of treat it like a lot. You cited the Saints. I almost treat it as a Saints light where I can do Connor, Daryl Williams for cheap and just kind of lock up the backfield because I really do think Connor's going to be very productive and kind of shake those committee ways given he's the best receiving option they have with Edmonds gone. That's that's my opinion. Who do you see kind of taking the, the scat back role from him? Yeah. Uh, so again, like, I, I think that's the out is like, I'm just underrating his talents and like all that makes sense. But uh, I, I try not to underrate coaching stubbornness. Yeah. And to me, it just seems like maybe it's both the running backs combining for this role or it's an open competition at this point. Uh, I think, I think both running backs have like underrated standalone value. I, I think, you know, Edmonds was definitely better than both. I think Connor probably should be the bell cow. Um, but I, not for nothing. I mean, like, I get it. Like, you know, Benjamin's a joke, but they've been raving about him nonstop yeah. since January. I know. December. Oh, that would sicken me if he had that hype. Up I know, I know, I know. Oh, God, that would be brutal. We got to move on. I can't talk about, you know, Benjamin. I'm sorry, but we will move on to Javante Williams. Certainly somebody much more attractive to talk about. My running back 15, and it pains me have him down at running back 15 I absolutely love the player um I had him last year in that one start you know 28.1 PPR points he led all running backs that one time he was used as the bell cow he should be but Melvin Gordon's back so I I have to account for that um if for whatever reason we get a 70% Javante Williams you know I've seen a lot of the the popular tweet these days seems to be if anyone's going to be Jonathan Taylor it's Javante Williams and I I can get that because you know he's that talented and if he got the the uptick in work then yeah he would crush it but ultimately um you know I, I just don't see that happening with them forcing Gordon back here so what's your take on this Bronco situation because it could be with Russell Wilson there there's a ton of upside for this whole offense including the backfield what's your kind of take on it yeah that's basically exactly what I said is he reminds me of the 2021 Jonathan Taylor but that's not necessarily a good thing it's what happened last year? Every beat was saying it was going to be he's going to be he's going to have fifty percent of the snaps, and that's exactly what we saw for the first six weeks of the season. And then Frank Wright came to his senses, but it, it might still be the same thing with Javante, where it's 50-50. Like you're just hoping talent wins out as it should, but you know it might not. It doesn't always. Um, and last year in the games both played, it, the split was fifty-two forty-eight in Melvin Gordon's favor. Like it, it was weird. Gordon was better by a lot of key stats, but but by the stat that matters most to me, Javante was extremely elite. He ranked top five in PFF history and missed tackles force per touch. Um, and then in college, he had the best ever PFF college season by the same stat. Like That stat matters so much to me. I think he's so good. We know what his upside is in that one game Melvin Gordon missed. He had 23 carries, nine targets, 178 yards from scrimmage, nearly 30 fantasy points. Like you said, Russell Wilson is a massive upgrade. Um, And you can just argue it both ways. It's like, okay, RB14, 
<clears throat> if it's a committee, you're that's a that's an L. You know, he needs a 75-25 split to be RB7 by volume, by just volume. But again, remember, he's really good. And yeah. The offense will be better. Or you just say talent always rises to the top. Melvin Gordon's 29. He's not, he's not good. Uh, on that argument, you can say Nathaniel Packett was asked, what is this? What, how are you going to deploy your running backs? He said, I'm going to feed who's ever hot. And I said, I don't know about you, but to me, Javante Williams looks like Anna de Armas next to <laughs> Melvin Gordon's Queen Elizabeth. And I think that's true. But the yes. argument too is like Nathaniel Hackett has only ever employed a disgusting committee backfield. This is the same guy who inexplicably capped Aaron Jones at 60% of the team snaps every year. And so again, to me, it just feels like a coin flip. Um, he's a great upside wins championships pick like Jonathan Taylor was last year, but for these concerns, he's my RB 13. I don't know. Yeah. They're all fair. All the, the stats you highlighted there certainly illustrate the talent, the guy that deserves the role. I did see some tweets lately from uh, the beat writer, Cecil Lammy, who has typically had a pretty good pulse on. He's really good. He's yeah. Really good. He, he usually has a good sense of the Broncos, what they're going to do. And he was suggesting 70%. For Javante, that, that this is the Javante show. It's not a committee. So if that is the case, then end of round two is going to be a steal for Javante Williams. I am worried that Melvin Gordon actually outscored him last year. He had more. Uh, he outscored him in 10 of their 16 games together. He was the higher scoring guy. I, and Melvin Gordon's just good. I know he's old. He's 29. But he is a good player. I don't want to like act like this is just a random guy coming in and, and doesn't really deserve the work. Gordon's good. And they, they really wanted him back. Uh, but if that does end up being that 70% switch... Man, that could be great. And then the, the thing I love about Hackett, yes, he's had some committees, but typically they, they've had an RB1 emerge because he loves to use those running backs so much. Um, the quarterback passer rating to running backs, highest of anybody in a Nathaniel Hackett offense. He's never finished with a, fewer than 103 running back targets. Top 10 in running back targets and target share in six of his eight seasons. The lead passing catch, uh, catching our, the lead pass catching RB has had 55 or 65, 90, 68, 48, 78, 68, 63, 65. So 65 or more in all but one season. So if we get, you know, Javante getting 65 to 70 targets, that's not a huge increase on what he had last year. I believe he was around 50 to 55, but you know, 10, 15 more for a target, you know, a monster that's getting those type of efficiency metrics that you said that could go a huge way uh, to, to just boosting that. And the, the thing I really like about just the Broncos that I think is going a little bit under the radar. I read a great athletic article about how Hackett, when they asked, do you want to trade for Russell Wilson? Of course he was like, fuck yeah, hell yeah, let's go. And they said, you know, make sure you study the film. He's like, I studied the film. Trust me. I know it all. But they said, no, really go back and study it. And he said what he lasered in on was the first six games of 2020. And if you remember, that's when Russ was absolutely cooking. He was on pace for like 61 touchdowns, hucking the air on the ball. They were throwing more on first down than any other team. And he was like, why would I ever go away from this? And that was the question everybody was asking Pete Carroll by midseason was, why are you not just continuing to ride this? So it sounds to me like he really wants to craft this offense around what they were doing with Russ when he was cooking. So for the pass catchers, for Russ, and especially for the running backs, even if it was a little bit of a committee, if that's the type of offense, I mean, Carson was even catching touchdowns after touchdowns in that offense. So I, I, I'm i a lot higher on the Broncos. And, and now that you take out Patrick, you know, sucks for him, you know, great player, hate it, but it also condenses everything just a little bit more for us fantasy nerds. So, I mean, I, I'm all about the Broncos right now. And I didn't enter the offseason that way, but the more I've been studying them, 
the more I get into them. And I really think Javante, the talent, is an easier bet to, to make at this point with all those other surrounding factors. You want to bet on good running backs. I'm, I'm pretty sure this guy is really good. Yeah, easy to easy to do. All right, well, we're now moving into tier five. I, I appreciate you, Barrett sent me a message for going long, but I will go uh, wrap up all 20 if you want. Of course, I'm going to take that time yeah. to uh, wrap up the 20 with you. I appreciate you staying on with me, talking these through. I know you said you had some guys you wanted to discuss and get a second opinion on, so I would be honored to continue going on. So it looks like there's plenty of you still out here. If you're still here and you haven't already, please consider hitting that thumbs up. Continue to help us grow. It is so appreciated. Well, back and so appreciate that you've been here. If you've been here for the whole hour and 40 marathon, hopefully you've learned a ton about running backs. And we got a few more to discuss as we move to running back 16, my tier five. These are kind of, we're entering what would have been the dead zone of last year. So I guess that's kind of a theoretical question to you is, do you feel like we are hitting a dead zone at this point? And then we can start talking about some of the names that are falling under the, the 2022 version of the dead zone from there. Uh, what are your thoughts though, on this kind of tier five where I've got Zeke 16, Brees Hall 17, ETN 18, Akers 19 and, and David Montgomery 20. Uh, I know we're going in order there, but do you have a general sense of like the dead zone and what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this is the best the dead zones looked in like four or five seasons, yeah. maybe more. Uh, again, I, I wrote all these words. I'm like, RBRB is, is optimal in the vast majority of start sit leagues, but maybe not this year. Not when you can get Kamara in round three, Zeke and Etienne in round four, Montgomery in round five. I mean, that's that's really yeah. persuasive to me. Um, let's talk about with your, fir- your first running back, who's also <clears throat> my next running back. Um, I really like instances where there's a narrative on a player and it's only moving in one direction. But the counter narrative to me is like just as compelling and easy to make, you know, like this is what Warren Buffett talks about is, you know, uh, you, you pay a very high price in the stock market for a cheery consensus Be- because of the, the uh, Roto street journal. I'll give you a few more. Yeah. <laughs> the time to buy is when there's blood in the streets or be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful. And that's what I'm saying with Zeke. Yes. So since he entered the league, he's finished third, third, eighth, fifth, 14th, and last season, 15th in fantasy points per game. Obviously, those last two seasons were rough in comparison to his you know, annual top five finishes, but he's still priced below his four. He's the RB16. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to, to, to come to his defense. You know, Two seasons ago, the Cowboys were missing Dak Prescott for over two-thirds of the season. Pollard was not significantly more efficient. Last season, Elliott played through a torn PCL in his right knee for over 75% of the season. In spite of that, he ranked second among all running backs in snaps. Pollard ranked 43rd. So let's look at the last two seasons. With a fully intact PCL and with Prescott in the lineup, Elliott averages 18.5 fantasy points per game on an 80% snap share. That's top four numbers by either stat. What happened the first six weeks of the last season? He ranked sixth in XFP per game. Okay, he's being drafted as a, what, mid to low end RB2. And so to me, you know, he's not the archetype I, I love. I, I don't know that he still has top six upside. He's on the downslope of his career. Uh, I think Pollard will probably steal some more passing down work, but not as much as people think. But I mean, 
he just, he's so damn safe. He's like such a value. He's making $18.2 million. Pollard couldn't crack a dozen touches when Elliott was playing through a freaking torn PCL. Uh, He's an exciting player, Tony Pollard. Like he's hyper-efficient, but like fantasy drafters fall for this trap every single time. You know, Toby Gerhardt, Joseph Randall, Andre Ellington, but being a bell cow is a rare skill, a rare talent that few possess. Zeke clearly does. 275 plus touches, five straight seasons, only missed one game due to injury. And uh, he's just so damn safe. Um, uh, Jerry Jones, who has all this money invested in him, doesn't want to look foolish, has said he has to be the focus. He has to be the focal point in the run and the pass game. There's room for Pollard, but Zeke is the focal point. And bottom line, you know, worst case scenario, Zeke is still getting the touches where it matters most, and that's near the end zone. He had 75% of the backfield XTD last year. That means based on their typical 17 touchdowns per season, he's going to get 13 touchdowns. Pollard's going to get four. So he's not a player I typically gravitate towards, but to me, underrated upside, massively high floor. I like him a lot. Yeah, I've been getting a ton of Zeke around four. I, I'm in full agreement here. It seems like we agree about a lot of these guys, which is always a, a comforting feel. We'll have to revisit at the end the biggest disparities, but I'm I'm all in. I mean, top 10 running back every year of his career, even when he missed six games from a suspension, even when he had, as you mentioned, a partially torn PCL. The guy just plays games, gets through it, and, and gets you his numbers, and people don't love the fact that he's less efficient than Tony Pollard, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if he's going to be getting as he has 300 plus opportunities every single year, besides when he was suspended six games and he's still got 200 opportunities in that 280 opportunities rather in that season. So as you mentioned, keystone player has to be the focus. And the fact that he is quote unquote, completely healthy right now, getting 22 mile per hour timed runs, Jim rat throwing up the most rate, like weight of his career. Yeah. I mean, you always hear those off season type of quotes, but for a guy that the only time I've ever really been concerned about is when he comes in kind of heavy and doughy and just doesn't look great. Like, you know, he's, he's going to be cool. He's going to get a ton of work in a good offense that most points, most yards in the league last year. That's right. That's that right. Bad. But like, it's, it's going to be, even if they take a step back from that with some of these injuries and whatnot, I guess that's maybe the path from c- continuing to remain a workhorse is they, all this hype about Pollard getting some slot snaps and receiver snaps. They might not have a choice, but to do that. So that also means, Zeke is still on the field. And as you always say, snaps are snaps are snaps. And that's crucial. So, I mean, great. Put Pollard on the field more. Maybe they both have great seasons. But to me, that's not going to be a bad thing for Zeke by any means. So, yeah, I'm with you. I I don't understand. I get get the whole be a year early instead of being a year late. But, like, eh, there's too much of a track record here. Again, RB6 with a torn PCL. Like, uh, I'm okay with that. I'll I'll, I'll take an RB10 all day for a fourth-round price tag, even if it's not the sexiest pick. I don't get why it's not sexier, to be honest. I mean, it's, yeah. it's a good offense it's and three other touches. Like, what, yeah. what's wrong with that? Sign me up all day. No, I'm, I'm fully there, and I'm, I share your sentiment, the dead zone as a whole. Like, I really like most of these guys that I have here in this 16 to 20 range, including Brees he's, Hall. He's deceptively sexy, like, like yeah. Aubrey Plaza or someone like that. Right? Yeah, exactly. Seriously. Like, it, it is. There's definitely a little bit of sneaky sex appeal to Zeke. Yeah. And just, like – sturdiness too like it's a you know it's like a great like solid wholesome with a nice sexy side to it like it, that's kind of what it is you know i, I love it um Brees Hall, can we, the next one <laughs> can, we, can we go out of order here and i'll, I'll, I'll get to my next guy yeah absolutely go go who do so, you have so next zeke is 
Zeke is RB14. David Montgomery is RB15. I love and him. I kind of want to put him higher. And I just like don't get his RB20 ADP, which is where you have him. I, I want to put him higher than RB15. Uh, so like a big concern with uh, running backs playing alongside hypermobile quarterbacks is that they really don't often target the running backs, but that was not the case last year. Uh, over his last six games, Montgomery was the highest end bell cow. He ranked third in carries, first in targets, first in XFP, first in XTD, second in fantasy points scored, second in backfield XFP percentage. That's like, it doesn't get any better than that. And then over his last 19 games, 18.2 carries, 4.4 targets, 17.7 XFP, 18.6 fantasy points per game, 76% snap share. Those are all top six numbers at worst or would have ranked as much last year. Uh, I mean, only Derek Henry, Jonathan Taylor, and Austin Eckler had more than 18.6 fantasy points per game last year. He's being drafted as the RB20. Uh, You can say... Chicago's not going to be very good. They, who cares? They weren't good last year. They weren't good the year before. He's a bell cow. And like, there's very small splits between what he averages in losses, RB10 production, and what he averages in wins, RB4 production. Uh, are you worried about Khalil Herbert, a round six running back? Like, he's Eno Benjamin tier to me. I'm, I'm not too concerned. The only concern is just regime uncertainty, which we keep coming back to. Um, and you know, maybe this new regime, uh, the pat, the former pass game coordinator in green Bay, you know, wants to do a tandem like Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon. I have seen a lot of, uh, mediocre beat writers, uh, suggest that, but without any supporting evidence, they also drafted a scat back and he signed a scat back and Tristan Ebner, Darrington Evans, maybe, they want to revert back to Montgomery's 2019 season, something like that, where Tariq Cohen has that pass catching role. Uh, I just, but I mean, like, I don't see any evidence pointing towards that. And that's the only concern. So it's like, why RB20? Yeah, I honestly, I don't, I think more so because the reason I have an RB20 is like, I'm nervous to ranking below everybody's darling, Travis Etienne, you know, Cam Akers, Rams, all that. I don't have a good argument though. I really like Montgomery. I he's my most drafted round five player at this point. Like I've I've been falling in love with him. I can't believe he's there in round five and as many underdog drafts and the scheme uncertainty. I, I know you keep citing that as like a concern too, but I I think it's in your anatomy of a league winner where you talk about how like a lot of times it ends up being a positive when these scheme changes. I don't know if that's true for running back or if that's a different position that ends no, up benefiting true, it's from true. it. Yeah, so I mean, you can you can have concerns like Josh Jacobs. I think is like stuck yeah, in a disgusting Josh McDaniel style. But sometimes you, you know you never know. And and a good head coach, a good offensive coordinator, which like hopefully teams are hiring more good ones than bad ones these days. You know, they give the ball to their most talented players. They're not you know scheme stubbornness. They're not just like oh we do things my way. Uh, yep. They're adaptive, hopefully. So exactly, and, but that's uh, the only concern. It's like, and otherwise, this is like, I, I think he could easily finish as an RB one. Yeah, those targets, those numbers, because the whole thing, the mobile quarterbacks not targeting running backs, was my concern. But th- that number is amazing. So, so, it makes me so even higher. That, yeah, the thing with that is, I use the same argument to be high on Justin Fields, 
where it reminds me of sophomore Lamar Jackson, how like the prior year he was in this uh, Joe Flacco scheme that wasn't suited to his skill set. But I think like this year, uh, you know, they really redefine the offense to fit his skill set. And so I like Justin Fields. Like maybe that means fewer targets, but the, usually this balances out where the more hypermobile the quarterback, the better your ground game efficiency from these RPOs and things like that. But um, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a, just something I've thought about. Yeah, there's a, a quote that I'll, I'll share with you, though, that might balance that out as well and, and kind of quell any type of new coordinator concern. So uh, Luke Getze, the new offensive coordinator, talked about that run-heavy outside zone. I'm sure you've seen that one that was blurbed about. Always nice. Like I, I like a good – Outside zone, outside zone scheme as much as the next person uh, getting a little more fullback action in there. But then they also uh, Eber, um, Eberfliss, however you say the guy, the new head coach's name, he had a quote about using Montgomery more diverse as a receiver. So he said, we're going to stress those guys out and stretch their role, meaning can he run the whole gamut of the passing tree, which, you know, it looks like he can. Which kind of routes is he good at? How's the timing of that? Can he beat one on one guys consistently? We feel like he has the skill set to do that. So I think the sky's the limit. We don't put ceilings on guys. If you do that, it's not a good way to go about it. So we always leave it open so the guy can climb all the way and go all the way up, man, go. We encourage you to do that, and we'll keep feeding you. And that's the whole process of our football team, the new Bears head coach said. So, like, sign you please? Up. Can you please send me that quote? Because I, I went digging for hours trying to find relevant yep. quotes. In there. I'll send you the, the link. I'll send you the quote. But, like, it only fits what you're you. kind of outlining. So now that you have some of the data to back up that he – was a bell cow, you know, you know, he thrives as a bell cow. And now we've got a coach saying we're going to use him more diverse as a receiver. Like I- I'm bumping him up. I, I, so I, so I here's my of, question for you. Yeah. What was more compelling Zeke or Montgomery? And if you're watching on YouTube, please chime in in comments. I'll go back and read all them. See, see if you guys can help me out with my right. Yeah. Who do, yeah, exactly. Who do you guys think about Zeke versus uh, Montgomery? Cause I, I like both arguments. I probably still lean Zeke just on the side of the offense being a better offense and the track record just being a little longer first first in points per game first in yards per game you said that that is not insignificant like this is maybe the best offense in football with him playing with a torn pcl with Pollard playing with a torn uh liz frank or something the last three games but uh yeah yeah, yeah. exactly that's yeah. that's that, that that goes a long way chime on in um oh good i see i see you're messaging me some of the uh the things you want so Awesome. I was, I was writing a list at the end of our uh, show sheet here, but you're already on top of it. So that's the uh, quote. Let me send you the link. And why don't we hit as I'm doing that? Uh, what, who we left off on? Brees Hall. Yeah, so, let's, let's, let's lump Hall and Etienne in together. All right, um, let's do it. So, I mean, according to my model, Brees Hall is almost like a Matt Forte tier prospect. It just model really loved his production, really loved his athleticism you draft a running back as high as you do. Uh, you make him the RB one in the class. They tried to trade up for him in round one. That typically implies you're a bell cow. And again, my model said it's a matter of when, not if he's a bell cow, he should be a bell cow. He's really, really talented. The only problem with that is you look at the coaching staff, right? You look at Matt LaFleur uh, or Mike LaFleur. I'm sorry. You look at his brother, or his mentor, Kyle Shanahan. And mm-hmm. they're just, you know, ardent proponents of committee backfields. Michael Carter was also like at least a little better than I think anyone could have expected, particularly on the ground. Um, and like, again, I think he should be a bell cow. And it's sort of the thing where like a lot of times with rookies, you're a committee for 
half of the season, and then you break out and you're this bell cow and you have that league winning upside in the second half when it matters most. And Hall in particular has the softest playoff schedule of any running back. And so the upside's big. Um, I mean, granted, maybe that means you're better off feeding him in drafts and then trying to trade him mid season when uh, his owner gets impatient. Um, but to me, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, I kind of don't, don't know that he is a bell cow. I think he should be. And that's, that's the concern. Um, and then Etienne, it's kind of the same thing. My model liked Hall more, but again, I, I, I mean, I liked Etienne more than my model. I thought he had massive upside. Um, and there's just like significantly lesser volume. Uh, he has a James Robinson with the Achilles, which scares the crap out of me. We'll, we'll get to that with acres. Um, otherwise like Snoop Connor is, is he someone who concerns you? He's not really someone who, who concerns me. Uh, you could talk about Doug Peterson's history of typically running out a committee backfield, but again, Mackay Sargent, right? Armstead, he has an immediate rapport with his quarterback yeah. and this offense should be significantly better without, you know, the worst head coach in the history of NFL head coaches. And, uh, I just, I, I like the player. There's no competition as I see it. And, uh, I should love it. This is what Graham keeps saying. Like you should love Etienne. You're the bell cow guy. And I just sort of don't, I, I have him RB 16. So I have him ahead of hall, uh, but maybe I should have him higher. I, he's, he's someone I just, I can't get a read on. And so I don't know, maybe I'm waiting for more reports out of camp, but he's RB 16 halls, RB 18. I, I, I would love to hear your thoughts on both of them. Yeah, I'll I'll start with uh, a Hall there. I I don't have a great read on either of these guys too, so it was really helpful to hear a lot of those things you just cited. I guess I'm just not worried about Michael Carter at all. I don't think Michael Carter's that good. I don't think he was even that great of a pass catcher. I don't think his passing grades came out overly impressive. He only had a few games with more than three targets, anyways, and he's already banged up. And I, he just doesn't worry me at all. I think Brees Hall was drafted to be a bell cow. I think he's going to be a bell cow. I like the LaFleur Shanahan zone scheme. Like, yes, they, those are committee based backfields. They've been kind of bred on, but when they have the right guy, they've typically ridden that guy. Even like Carlos Hyde, I think one year got like 260 touches. Maybe that was just a, a result of not having any guy other than him. But I also think that could be the situation with Brees Hall. They don't really have anyone else. I'm not worried about Carlo and he's just that good too. So to me, he's going to be a bell cow, I, you know, a top 11 um, they ranked number 11 in PFF's 2021 grades. That was without Becton playing all year. So if he does return, you know, maybe a top seven line potentially if they all hit their ceiling, they're young. So a lot of times you, you read a lot of stats about how lines need some time to to gel and really get together with, especially in a zone blocking scheme to build that chemistry. So I, I could see the line taking another, another step forward. It could certainly go backwards too, but I like them to take a step forward as a line. They did rank uh, top seven in running back targets with 170. Um, I could see it being a 280 with a running back, 280 touches, running back friendly scheme, uh, as you said, a bell cow profile and a, one of the better prospects, certainly of this year, but the last couple of years, there's a three down skill set. Uh, and the fact that a top 10, there's been a top 10 rookie running back in nine of the last 10 years, uh, you know, top six and four of the last five, top 15 and 10 straight. So to me, like if there's going to be a number one rookie running back to continue that trend of top 15 and 10 straight, it's certainly going to be Brees Hall. 90% have been top 10. Like it's going to be Brees Hall. I don't really, I'm not drawn to too many of the other rookies, whether it's their situations or talent. It seems like a pretty weak class. So to me, Brees Hall is going to keep that trend going and be at least top 15 
uh, my opinion. So I like Brees. Etienne, I, I, it's, an, it's similar to you. I don't know why I don't like him. A lot of the smartest analysts that I love, and he's got that profile, the pass-catching chops and big scoring ability, the rapport with Lawrence. Like Everybody that I, I follow seems to like him, and, and I want to like him too. He's been the star of training camp. So they're saying right now he has the pre-established rapport, as you alluded to. I just – I don't know. I, you know the, the Achilles thing, which we'll talk about with Akers, I know there's no way to avoid it. So if that does truly eliminate Robinson, then my concerns would evaporate. Something about Robinson, though, like he just – the overused, terrible expression of you know, he's got the dog in him. But like he just like from day one, whether it was coming in and just dominating like he did – to the fact that he's even not on the PUP right now. Like if there's somebody that's just going to be like, no, Achilles injury doesn't matter to me. It seems like a guy like him, like he's just an absolute nose of the grindstone. Uh, he's going to overcome the odds. So maybe it's him. Maybe they just, as you cited, like Peterson does typically love committees. I don't know who else it would be. I, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel good. I don't really have a good reason against it, especially the way he's shining, but it's just like, uh, I don't know. I, I I don't really have a good thing against him other than the fact that I I wouldn't be shocked if James Robinson is the type of guy that, if it's not early in the season, at least by midseason when points matter most, is, is back and being a nuisance and taking at least the scoring touches. I mean, Peterson definitely does strike me as the sort of like stubborn type. I, I don't think he deserves a lot of credit for the Super Bowl win. I really think Frank Reich was the true mastermind. Yes. So I can see him being a fake, sharp, stubborn, you know, we're going to give James Robinson 10 touches, even though he's averaging two yards per carry script. Right. Uh, He also has, he also has nothing tied to Etienne. He didn't draft him. So that, that always, you know, makes me a little nervous. Um, I worry that my subconscious mind knows something my conscious mind doesn't, but I also worry it's just like a cognitive bias where I drafted a lot of Etienne last year and now, you know, it just hurts. So like, I, I have that stuck in the, the back of my mind. So I don't really know. Um, yeah, again, I'm going to read YouTube comments. So if you guys have any comments for me, but if I, if I hate, if I hate Cam Akers, which I do, I should hate James Robinson for the same reason and love Etienne, but let's get to your number 19 and, and wrap this list up. Yeah. Hour two is where we get to the fantasy subconscious, Scott. This is where we uh, dive into <laughs> real deeps. What does Freud have to say about running back threes and all that? Yeah, no, I love it. Um, but no, yeah, I, I don't have a great reason against him. Um, there was one other clip I did want to bring up with him. Uh, I think his name's PT Jeff Miller or Jeff Mueller or something like that. He tweeted out a video of like ET and bursting down the silence looks explosive, looks good. But then he like zoomed in and it was a, a physical therapist on the way he was running and like how his feet were kind of like bow legged. And he's like, oh, no wonder that this guy's having foot concerns when he's running this style. And it, it sounds like that like goes back to his, his college days. He's always kind of had this weird running style and i don't know if that's something you ever unlearn or like how that works but it, that's another thing that you might want to take a look at like given the fact that he had a foot injury and then he has this weird I, it's it was something at least to note so uh i, I can send you that one too if you're interested um yeah please do. yeah um so yeah i guess that brings us to our last guy right cam Akers, and i know you yeah, already said yeah, make, make make your case so i can rip it apart and just know <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm going the exact opposite way with it yeah and well so the i don't the i don't it's not a statistical thing it's really not it's like a, a very gut call thing but. it's going to be a harder case to make the more reports that come out about like 
today. Henderson is also considered an RB1 in this offense, and it's a bit more split. My, my only argument for Akers was going to be workload in a, a great offense. That Daigle stat I already cited, uh, you might as well run it again, 94%, 95%, 86%, 71%, 90%, 48%, 83%, 93%, 100%, 71%, workhorse was the, the weekly running back touch type of style for McVay's back last year. So you look at Akers comes back, and he was averaging, even though he wasn't looking great, 19.25 opportunities per game. Yes, ineffective, 2.6 yards per carry, but coming off a torn Achilles, I can't hate on that. He also faced the Buccaneers, third best run D, 49ers seventh, and Bengals fifth during there. So, you know, all 10, all top 10 against the run. So we can't just ignore the fact that this guy's coming off an Achilles, also facing three top 10 run Ds, probably isn't going to look great. So to me, it was just a case of, they clearly, they showed what they want, in my opinion. At least that's what I thought when I had him ranked in my top 20, that they want this guy to be their horse. And last time he was 100%, we saw him go for 645 and 140 carries, four touchdowns across six games. I mean, he was looking like the next great young RB1, uh, including those playoff games. So if he is truly 100% and they're going to feed him like this workhorse and this is going to be a top five offense in the league, it, it looks like a 20-touch explosive young back. In, in one of the best offenses in the league. But explosive young back is obviously with a huge asterisk because he's coming off an Achilles and very few, if any, I don't think anybody has ever come at the running back position, at least, off an Achilles and, and had a productive year. So huge if. Um, they did mention also involving him more in the passing game too, just as a, another thing I liked about him. But those are all the, the bull cases. And I, I know you're going to rip it to shreds, so let's hear it. Yeah, so I think the best argument for him is, like you said, Sean McVay wants a, a bell cow running back. That role, depending on how talented you are, is like anywhere between overall RB1 to low-end RB1. We saw that with Daryl Henderson last year prior to injury. We saw that with Cam Akers at the tail end of 2020. Uh, and we saw that with Todd Gurley, right? And you know, uh, despite having only one functional leg, despite averaging just 2.57 yards per carry, they gave Akers the lion's share, 66% of the team's backfield touches with the season on the line when it mattered most in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. And uh, so Graham, again, he was like, hey, you're the bell cow guy. You should love Cam Akers. And my response to him was only half joking maybe like 20% jokingly Cam Akers has the same injury discount as Bronco Nagurski. They're both dead. And I just cannot get on board with a running back coming off of an Achilles injury. If you look at the list of names and there's a list of, I don't know, 12 to 15 names, there's only ever been one running back to finish as a fantasy RB four or better post Achilles. That was Mikel LaShore, who only saw two touches in the, the following season and then never played football again. So to me, just the injury risk and company risk, committee risk is, is way too high to, to justify his, his current ADP. And then like you said, uh, after I wrote this blurb, a bunch of tweets have come out where McVay is talking about this as a committee. And yeah, Daryl Henderson has been must draft for me. So uh, really like the arbitrage there and maybe this is like a dummy take like you know he returned faster than anyone thought humanly possible maybe 
science has progressed and it's no longer uh, damning injury. But like I, I've said for a few of these names, I, I've become more, I'm, I'm like known as the uh, non-risk averse guy. I really lean into risk and upside, but uh, with injuries and running backs, I, I've been a little more skeptical lately. Yeah. I guess my one hope is what you just kind of said there at the end, the fact that he came back in six months, even though he didn't look great, is a sign of a freakish ability on his part. He is younger than a lot of those running backs were. Actually, I'm looking at the list now, though. I do have a chart right here, and a lot of them were 24, 22. So they weren't – it's pretty damning. It's a terrible list, but maybe it is science. Remember ACLs used to be like, you'll never come back from an ACL tear. Then it became a year. Now it's six months. So maybe Achilles does become that type of thing. It does feel a whole lot worse. I just picture tearing my Achilles. It sounds awful. I mean, James Robinson's not on the pop, so like maybe that's just <laughs> hey, it's a six-month injury now. Maybe that's maybe it'll become the new ACL at some point, and if so, then then Acres will be a value. The, I just the only reason I feel even a little bit comfortable is the fact that he did come back, so he got the chance to kind of you know how much they talk about the mental part of it of regaining your trust in your leg and and taking a hit and and kind of just being there. He's already gotten that out of him. So whether or not he's ever going to be the same athlete he was, that's certainly up for grabs. But the fact that he at least has that kind of part of out of uh, part of it out of his system, and we've at least seen him makes me feel just a little bit better. The committee does worry me a whole lot more than I was before, but it's not with, with McVay's trend either. So, I, yeah, it's, it's tricky. It's a really tricky one. It, the, the list is not proud for him. So who do you have in your top 20? If Akers is outside of it, who's the guy that's taking his spot for you? Oh, I, I have no idea. I didn't even get that far. Okay. <laughs> um, Maybe Dobbin, uh, Dylan Mitchell or something. Yeah. Like the next guys up. Here's, here's a tweet that didn't go viral uh, but really should have Jeff Zrebic. I'm not pronouncing that right, but he's, he's definitely the best Ravens beat writer tweeted out five hours ago. Greg Roman says he feels the running back competition is wide open. Wow. And, you know, maybe, maybe he's just, he's talking about everyone else, but that is scary as hell. Heck. Yeah. It's super scary. Um, and so, yeah. Uh, Tyler Batty, Mike Davis, those are those are guys uh, I'll take because like with my bell cower bus draft strategy, I'm really typically going RB, RB, and then maybe RB again with the next two picks. But I think this year is unique where you there's this value that we see, you know, round three, Kamara must draft. There's these round four guys, round five, David Montgomery yeah. that you can wait. But really after that, with with special exceptions, I'm neglecting running back for the remainder of the draft minus these last round dart throws like a Mark Ingram and Eno Benjamin, a Tyler Batty, uh, Kareem Hunt, Daryl Henderson. Those are two guys we talked about that I like that I'll make exception for, but really like all the safety, all of the upside is at the top of your draft at the running back position. It's the most important position. So uh, I really don't give a lot of thought. I really think, uh, the the tier dies with for me James Connor at RB nineteen or Brees Hall at RB eighteen, uh, but really David Montgomery at RB fifteen just because like he's going after all these guys and I, I like him more. Um, yeah, so I don't I don't tend to take dart throws on these committee backs. The rest of our staff loves Ramondre Stevenson, who I loved coming out. They love Kenneth Walker, you know, and I get that. You know, Rashad Penny can't stay healthy and the. They like some other names. Um, I, pro- I probably 
like just out of stubbornness, don't want to give up on CEH. I might, I might take him in a draft or two, but, but realistically uh, avoiding all of the likely committee backs. Yeah, I, I see it 100% the same way. You know, whether Akers is in that top 20 or becomes a 19 with Montgomery, I, I'm going to be bumping up Montgomery after our conversation too. It just uh, definitely helped me uh, get a little more confidence. I, I don't know why I had him low, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, I see after fifth round Montgomery, I don't typically take a running back till round 13, 14. The one exception I've made is taking stabs at the Bills because I kind of see that similar to how the, the Bucks were last year, whereas if somebody does emerge, it's such a good offense that if it's Singletary remaining what he was to end last year, which was the running back two in the fantasy playoffs, great. Like he could be a touchdown machine. If James Cook becomes like their version of Kamara, he could be a monster. So I've taken a few bills in that round 10, 11 range. I've taken a stab at Kenneth Gainwell just because I love the line there and I, I'm just not into Miles Sanders at all. So if I'm fading him, I, I like taking Gainwell in round 13, 14. Henderson's a really good one, as you you pointed out. But I'm with you. Like after round five, I'm certainly not relying anybody on as a starter. And I'm, I'm taking guys strictly for some bench upside in case their best case scenario hits. I view it the exact same way. I think one ph- philosophical thing that changed for me as we talked tonight was I've been big on running back, running back, running back. Like start your draft, get your three bell cows and, and go with it. But the more we talk through some of these, you know, Kamara round three, Zeke round four and Montgomery round five. Let's say you did that, but you also had two elite pass catchers to then lead into that. You went receiver, receiver, or you, you know, Kelsey receiver, something of that nature. And then you still ended up with those running backs. Like that is just as sexy as a running back heavy team early. It just to me, three running backs in the first five, I don't care where they necessarily come from. I had originally been pumping three running backs have to come early, early, early. But the more we talk through these guys, like, there, I don't see a dead zone until after five, and then I see a, a emptiness wasteland type. Of <laughs> yeah, thing. exactly. But, yeah, post-apocalyptic wasteland of RBs. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I think three running backs in your five doesn't matter exactly which five they come in. Is kind of my new philosophy after tonight, which I, I appreciate you helping me kind of think that through. It's a good philosophy for sure. Um, and by the way, the comments are, are big on to Zeke mostly. Offense is going to be uh, given more opportunities. Zeke because Cowboys offense better bears O lines also abysmal, which is fair. Uh, it's not a great offensive line there either. So in, in that kind of poll, it seems like Zeke kind of won out for the, uh, the crowd here. Yeah. So again, uh, if you listen to this, even if it's, if it's not live, uh, I'll, I'll pop in the comments tomorrow and, and, and check everything out. You'd be doing me a big favor. If you told me what you found extremely compelling, what you didn't, what you agreed with, what you didn't, guys, you're moving up or down. And, and that's the same thing for you, Wolf. Uh, please let me know if you adjusted rankings on anyone. And, uh, and you know, obviously, just like always love chatting with you, really respect your opinion. This, I thought this was a great help to talk this out. And, you, you know, you gave me a bunch of stuff I'm going to, you know, put into the article before publish. And hopefully uh, uh, your YouTube subscribers got a lot out of this. I mean, uh, absolutely oh yeah. man it was it was a blast the pleasure was all mine i certainly took a ton away from our conversation as well thanks yeah, i mean you put in you put in 220 two hours 20 minutes in the midst of covid so uh it was two hours and 20 minutes i didn't think about having covid man it was an absolute blast uh it's been very light symptoms too i don't want to over exaggerate having covid you know i just worried my voice would be lost but here i am 220 in and 
still talking. My mom told me my voice was horrible, but hey, we made it through, mom, if you're still listening. So yeah, my, my mom told me my, my voice is very manly and I'm a very handsome boy. I'm sorry, sorry, your mom's a jerk. I don't know. No, no, she's the nicest lady in the world. She was Fine. worried when I called her this morning. She's like, you sound terrible. Like it, it was oh, the nicest, nicest little, like she meant it's so the, sweet. the nicest way you could tell someone their voice sounds My terrible. poor sick baby. <laughs> exactly, exactly, the place it was coming from. But no, man, this was great. As Barrett mentioned too, he's going to be checking the comments. I know this is a live, so the comments like pop up on the screen. So anybody that wants to comment in some of their takes, what they found valuable or what they think we should reconsider, do that on the post show too because it's probably going to be a lot easier for Scott to see those or just hit him up uh, at what Scott Barrett DFB. Is that right? Yep. You can always just tweet at him. You can tweet at me to send it to Scott because we're always chatting as well. If you have anything you'd like to send, but – we, had, we, we held it together for two hours, 20 minutes. Barrett, you're the man. I really appreciate you giving me that time. I'm going to hit a couple of the questions that popped up in here. Uh, but thanks again so much for coming on, chatting through these running backs. I will definitely send you some of those things that we uh, chatted through. If there's any – I don't know if you've messaged me about the ETN uh, video and those things. Send me any that you want me to make sure you send, and I will be sure to get you those resources. Uh, but, yeah, thanks again so much. I can't wait for – it's the Bell Cow Report. That's right, the, the article that's coming out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't wait for that to drop. Everybody, you can find that at fantasypoints.com. Again, cannot recommend Barrett and just the whole crew over there more than I already do. So go check them out if you haven't already. And thanks again so much for the time, Scott. I really, really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Wolf. All righty. Have a great rest of your night, man. <laughs> All righty, Wolf Pack. So thanks again to Scott for joining us. As promised, I will hit your questions. I'm sure some of you were hoping Scott would answer, but. We're here for two hours and 20 minutes. I can't keep him longer than that. But huge shout out again at ScottDFB, fantasypoints.com, a phenomenal site. Um, I do, I said, I don't have a lot of time to do research. One of the very few sites then established the run and maybe like two others. PFF, I do like to check in on Harditz and the boys, but there's not many I get to check in on. Uh, and I always make sure to check their analysis out. But if you were here, Let's uh, maybe you're still here after those two hours and 20 minutes. So I don't want to ignore you. So let's hit those questions. Barrett Scott commenting in. I don't know uh, the alter ego. No, I, I, I was interacting on Twitter. Good to see you showed up. Barrett Scott. Thanks so much for being here. Let's fucking go. Uh, Ian Snow deal. Love you, brother. You've been an absolute workhorse. Speaking of workhorses, RSJ workhorse right there. An absolute beast. Finally made it back. I did Schneider. Been gone for a while. That's why I ended up with COVID traveling to Alaska and then Seattle. It's been quite the trip. That's why we did those marathon projection shows and then a marathon running back follow-up here. Uh, but we are back, and uh, we won't be gone that long the rest of the summer and the season. I'm here to stay, baby. <laughs> they got my one big break. I don't usually do it that long, but uh, a special year this year, being engaged and all that. A lot of good trips to celebrate. So apologize for the extended absence, but it was a great, great uh, refresh, refreshing trip until the COVID hit. And now uh, we're back. We won't be gone. We'll be, we have a ton of good guests lined up, but that was a great kickoff show, man. I uh, love the show. Thank you, Andy Diggler. Anybody else out there that enjoyed, if you haven't already, please consider subscribing, hitting that thumbs up button. I would mean the world to continue to grow. Our presence, beard presence strong today. Gotta love it. Yes, tunes. Beard is coming. You should have seen it a couple of weeks ago if you think this is strong. Good stuff. Free sub right here. Broke. Uh, <laughs> Indeed, tunes. Hey, I'll, I'll hook you up with, uh, if, if we get a contest for it, the work you do is very good. And we owe you probably a payment, I'm sure. We cut these clips up. We'll get you a good payment for that. We got some good running backs to clip up tunes. Uh, if I didn't have my sub already, I'd be hyped for that. Yeah. Cheers, Barrett Scott. Yeah, it's a great site. So uh, don't forget Matt got hurt. Uh -huh. That's true with the uh, JT we were talking about. 
a lot of slot work for Hines. I see that, Jesse. Uh, indeed. I'll take the risk, but high upside for CMC. Uh, yeah, it is. It, again, if he plays all 16 games, he's going to be the number one running back. If he plays 15, probably still will be. JT, a beast uh, made again this season. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with JT. So wait, this is early on. Good. Good to get some good comments and interactions on there. Uh, for 60 yards, yeah, it's exactly that new QB. Going to open it up even further. I'm with you, Gary. Like, people aren't – everybody wants to talk about CMC ceiling. I don't think we've even seen the ceiling of JT. More touchdowns, better yards per clip, like maybe more receiving work, even though they're talking about Hines. I think there's a huge ceiling there. I agree. What's up, Austin? Great to see some Wolfpack legends all in here. Pick two big league PPR. What am I taking? I think you're taking Taylor or CMC, whoever uh, doesn't go. I would prefer – I mean, PPR, though, if you wanted to go cup, if you don't feel comfortable with um, with CMC like I don't, you could certainly go cup in a PPR especially. So I limit it to those three. It really is about how much can you stomach CMC because if you can take it, you go with them and you don't look back and you just cross your fingers and hope you get all the season. Then you win. That happens. Me personally, again, like I said, I've been burned. I probably go Cooper Cup. Really do. Tunes, I love the Wolfpack starting to interact with each other. Goat is there with the wolf. Yes, duck. You're uh, good to see you, brother. You certainly recognize the wolves, uh, the, the true wolves when you see them. Uh, good to see you in here, brother. ETN or A Rob round four, 909. I am all in on A Rob. Uh, huge fan. I know it's a running back show, but I'm all in on A Rob. I mean, the fact that he got what he did, you know, top 10 receiver in three of his four healthy seasons with the shit that was thrown to him. He plays all the games with the Rams and Stafford stays healthy. He's going to be, I have a prediction as a top seven receiver. You'd see that in the draft guide soon enough, but yeah, I'm going A-Rob all day. And I'm lower on ETN too. I think most people would strongly disagree with that take, but I'm A-Rob all day there. We are back, Omar. Great to see you, brother. Slam ZRZ. Should I trade DeAndre Swift for David Montgomery, Tyler Boyd, and Brandon Ayuk in PPR? Is this Dynasty redraft? If it's Dynasty, no. I think Swift is just too young and too valuable. Uh, but if this is redrafts i mean boyd i kind of eliminate is swift versus montgomery and iuk it comes down to and i'm not that high on iuk as high as we were on on montgomery tonight i don't think i do that we are here omar good to see you double double dipping even better the sleeper tier the dead zone exactly what's up todd exotic great to see you bunch of the legends showing up tonight you always love to see that yep the, these are the zeke people uh over montgomery any news on kamar and disciplinary so all we know with that tunes is they de delayed the hearing for 60 days. So that's into the season. There's kind of speculating that unless a video is leaked, then we're good to go. Like nothing's going to happen at least this year, maybe 2023. But as far as this year, um, you know, I, I think we're in the clear. So I'm, I'm going to keep gobbling them up late second, early third, mid third. I was going to pick 36 for a while. So going to keep doing that. Thank you. Uh, but that, that's what we got so far. Uh, thanks for the great show. Got the first pick this year. One of those top two, Schneider. It's your pick. I, I go JT just because I feel safer, and I still think there's an untapped ceiling. Again, if you get all games from McCaffrey, he's going to be the top scoring player in fantasy, and he might be hard to overcome. But 10 games in the last two years personally burned me two years in a row. I can't do it myself. I'm going JT. I just I feel safer, and I don't think the ceiling is that far off, even though, I mean, passing game-wise it is. Zach Miller, very informative, changed my mind. I'm glad to hear that, Zach. You know, that's that's the goal. You always want to encourage people to stick to their kind of guns and their their gut and how they feel. But if you can present a case compelling enough, then you'd be a fool not to, to take it. Not, 
especially thought those two players you highlight, Montgomery and Chubb, were some of the best takes we saw. So I agree with you, Zach. Um, you know, I think they're very good, t- especially if Watson stays suspended the whole year. I think it's a really good take that Scott had there. So check out that bell cow report whenever it comes out for him. Going to be great. And I'll, I'll definitely be referencing it a lot. I have a, I shouldn't, didn't even promote this from the top, but those of you that are still here, I will be releasing the draft guide next week. I'm almost done. I'm on my round uh, 10 through 15 and then my 16 through 20. So really wrapping up the last few rounds. But if you're interested in, in my kind of takes and a little bit more deeper analysis, my projections too, uh, that'll be out next week. So Check out the uh, Wolf's Investing Guide if you. Uh, it would be great to support the site. We'd be so appreciated if you guys are interested. I got the 109-10 team league. Keep mocking Chase round one, Adams two. So, I think again the way I wrote my draft guide, I'm gonna have to revisit it. Was it's a good thing I haven't released it yet. You got to go running back, running back, running back to start your draft. But after talking tonight with with Scott, I just think it's a matter of get three running backs in your first five. I don't care where they come from. Because there are 19 to 20, if you like acres like I do, that are so head and shoulders above everybody else. If you can get three of them, that's a huge edge. So if you go Adams and Chase and you think running backs will fall to you, Tunes, it's a huge upside start. If you go Adams, Chase, and like Kamara fell or Connor, who I like, I know Barrett doesn't, but let's say you like Connor, he falls there. And then you get Zeke and then you get David Montgomery. But that low, I can't imagine Montgomery makes it all the way back in five either. So I'd probably take one of them. I'd probably take Chase. I'm not as high as Devontae this year. Uh, I'd, I'd get a running back there and then go running back, running back. And then maybe Allen Robinson, you know, round five, something like that. Jesse, thanks so much for your kind words. The grind will be hard these next few weeks. I'll tell you that, especially when this COVID thing gets the hell out of me. But uh, that's that's why we love it. We love the grind this time of year. Thank you guys for being here. Lean and JT, uh, full PPR certainly does favor CMC, but you know me. You know where I stand. Burned too many times. He doesn't play for me. So I'm doing the fantasy service, you know, fantasy community service if I fade him because he'll certainly show up for 17 when I don't play him. Zach Mixon. Yeah, exactly, right? Like JT Light. Why don't we view him as Taylor? With a better line, with, you know, positive game script, even more so in his favor this year. Maybe they pick up the pace just a little bit. I mean, RB4 and his situation's only better. He was all those negatives that people point to him, which are all true. Can't ignore him, but they're all still there. He just has a better line and, and an offense that will probably be in more positive situations. So if he's not before with those negatives last year, I think those positives far outweigh the concerns that, that are added and maybe he even beats it. So I love Nixon. I'm, I'm in on him. I think a lot of sharps aren't and I understand it, but yeah. Uh, do you have a price for the draft guide? I believe it will be, it's taken me a while. The projections obviously take a lot of work. I, I'm thinking about $20. I don't want to you know, ever make anyone break the bank. We're just trying to get enough to, to pay our writers to you know, put some money in the bank. So I think 20 for the time I put in is, is much lighter than it should be. But I also recognize you know, if I put any more than 20, I don't know that it will sell. I, I don't know. I don't know what people would pay or what's fair, but I, I'm thinking 20, maybe a, a promo code for the regulars that yeah, I'll pump in little little spots that only the regulars will find. You can get it for 15 type of thing. Um, that's kind of what I'm thinking in that range. Um, and I think it'll be well worth it. I wouldn't charge something if I don't think. I always want to uh, over, what, what's the whole expression? Over deliver under promise type of thing. Uh, you know, I, I want the, the value to far outweigh whatever you pay. 
And I, I think it will. I think 20 bucks, you know, a, a couple beers at the bar would be well worth the guide. So thanks for asking Schneider. That's, that's my uh, initial guess, $20. So hopefully that's not too much for you guys out there. Um, and if it is, you know, I'm always willing to kind of work at a discount. If people don't have the 20, you know, I just want to get out there and get red. red. So you can always send me DMs if, if it's something that doesn't work for financial. We'll figure it out. Um, all righty, guys. Thank you so much again for those of you that were here for a, a two and a half hour marathon on the running backs, the top 20 running backs. Thanks again to Scott. What an amazing guest he always is. Um, an absolute blast. Just so much to learn from. You can find, again, his bell cow report that will include everything we talked about uh, and so much more um, at fantasypoints.com. You can find all my stuff at roastreetjournal.com, at roastreetwolf on Twitter. That's where the draft guy will be. That's where my rankings are. And so many great articles that our great staff has been pumping out like crazy this summer. Our content's been insane. The views are insane. We love you, Wolfpack. Thanks so much. The wolf of any sheep, be the wolf, guys. I'll be back for the truth tomorrow for a training camp update. I should have said that right at the top. But tomorrow, going live again with the truth. I'm telling you on all the big training camp news before football is back tomorrow. Let's go. Oh, we're there, Wolf Back. And the Wolf of Fancy Sheep, be the wolf. Part two. Later, guys. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. Football right there, folks.